Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Saddock Cast. Myself, Ollie and Glenn as always. How are you doing, Glenn? Yeah, it's, it's the first time we've done the podcast this season in the dark. Obviously, the clocks went back uh, last night, didn't they, Ollie? So, yeah, it's a bit of a different vibe sitting here on a Sunday night doing the podcast. But I have to say, Ollie, there's a, there's a little bit of watching She's Retired that feels like the clocks have gone back because um, it feels like we've gone back to just after Christmas last year where the, the wheels fell off a little bit and uh, we couldn't buy a win. It, it feels a little bit like that at the moment, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Um, yeah, I'm on holiday this week and, um, yeah... I don't know if I just need it or I want it, but I've got a beer for this podcast. Um, so, yeah, it's it's going to be, I think, an interesting one. So it's going to be a four-part podcast. We're going to cover the Rovers game and the Rochdale game, have a bit of chat again about Sam Ricketts, yep. where we, a bit like we did last week, but can continue that story on. Um, and then also we've got um, to link um, to um, a story um, about a gentleman that stole £18,000 from the club mm. um, to fund his gambling um, and alcohol addictions. Um, and I listened to a podcast on The Guardian um, in the week, um, early last week. Um, and for me, there's two stories kind of linked together. Um, so I actually made contact with the guy that does the podcast um, and, he, and he offered to come on. It was his idea. Yeah, right. um, so big thanks to Tim Lawrence for kind of pointing me out the The Guardian podcast. And that's how we've got here. So, yeah, it's um, be interesting. And, and, and you know, me and you have been both quite anti-gambling yep. in terms of like podcasts and advertising and stuff. Um, so that's why I thought it was good for us to get him on. Yeah, I think it'd be good to, to cover that in South News, as I say. Yeah. Might be quite a dark, dark podcast this Ollie with two losses and some quite, uh, let's be honest, serious conversations to be had about how people are feeling at the moment. So um, yeah, we're going to try and cover the games as quickly as possible because there's just so much else going on really, isn't there, to cover around it. So unfortunately, yeah, let's get into it Ollie and, and start with Bristol Rovers. Lynch, looking for Clark. Let's sit back off him. Low ball in towards Steve. Steve turns the defender and scores! So, the first game this week, um, after beating Wimbledon on a bit of a high with that late um, winner through Clark, we were obviously expecting us to come back and, and put a good showing in at home and, and get another three points. And I think the last thing I said on the podcast last week, Holly, um, when we were talking about the form and stuff, was, you know, let's talk about steps forward when we played the next home game. Because, you know, it was all good and, and everything beating Wimbledon, wasn't it? But, you know, this next game was going to be the tellers to where Ricketts' team were playing. So, unfortunately, it ended Shrewsbury Town nil and Bristol Rovers won. Um, they scored after 50 minutes and we, we could not score an equaliser. So, yeah, not great. And, and it... Another thing we're going to spend a lot of time talking about, I think, when we get into the, the wider things, is home form, Ollie. So for, for before this yeah. game, we'd only won one in the last eight home games. Obviously, after this game, we're up to one in nine home games, and we'll talk about where that went on Saturday as well. Um, so, yeah, the home form has just been dreadful, um, but we'll, we'll de- dig into that a little bit more as we go on. Um, and then, yeah, so I suppose, you know, another Tuesday night game. I follow code in. Team came through about an hour before kickoff. Um couple of things that really did spark some debate, which I'll ask you about in a second, Ollie. But just to, to give the team, it was Ilyev in goal, um, then High playing right back, Ebanks, Landell and Pierre at centre-back, Goldborn left back, and then we had a midfield three with Walker sitting and Norburn and Vela ahead, and then the front three of Adoe, Clark and Cummings. So, yeah, I think the first thing everybody thought on Tuesday night was, why is Scott High playing right back? <laughs> yeah, so he's our, is he our fifth nominated right back um, so far in this squad. Um, in terms of players that have played there so far this season, um, a very uh, an odd decision in the sense that you know we do have recognised right backs in the squad mm. and we're paying them a wage. Um, so Love um, obviously played a lot of games <laughs> last season, no reason why he couldn't have started. Um, but obviously we found out at the end of this game that he's out of favour. Yep. Um, whatever that means is that because he didn't leave when Sam Ricketts wanted him to. 
and go somewhere else. Possibly. Um, and he didn't leave, or or God knows what. But him, yeah. To be fair, Hyde did well. He's a good footballer, um, and we dominated possession. So, yeah, it wasn't like um, it was too much of a worry as such. Um, but it is a bit strange. You know, at the, at the lowest point, maybe in terms of wages, Goss and Love are probably costing us maybe 150k a year, maybe as high as 250k a year um, in terms of wages. Uh-huh. Um, so it's a bit of a waste of money. Um, other than that, Glenn, um, I don't think there was too many surprises. I guess a surprise was the fact that we started with um, three out-and-out strikers. Yeah, obviously two of them not playing as out-and-out strikers, which is a, a debate a lot of people have had about playing people out of position. But I think it, it probably worked better in this game than it has done in some of the other games this season, yeah. but still didn't create... They were a lot narrower, weren't they? They weren't playing as wingers. They were. No. Then If you look at their average position, um, there were th- um, three very um, central kind of players. Yeah, it was good. Good. We talked about the Wimbledon game about how it was a bit harsh that Walker had been dropped, so he got his chance to come back in, didn't he, which I think was fair. Um, and yeah, yeah, I think you're right. It was it was pretty uh, understandable. Yeah, you know, Burgoyne clearly second choice again to Iliev. Um, so yeah, it, it is what it is, I suppose, with the goalkeeper situation. The, the thing I find interesting about the love situation is, you know, we're sitting here now on the 25th of October, um, and it's going to be November soon. You know, by the time we get our next game, it doesn't. And and we've brought this Miller guy in from um, Australia. He's only here till January, and he's got to go back then. And you know, we've had him in for what almost a month now, maybe three weeks, and he's not got anywhere near starting. It's, if he's not playing in the next few weeks, why do we even bring him in? No, we don't know why has he got COVID, <laughs> Who knows? which would be terrible if he has. I feel sorry yeah. for the poor bloke Very odd. stuck in England, away from home. Mm. If he's got COVID or what, or he's got an injury. But yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a yeah a few short term um, options at the moment. But yeah, um, it was interesting actually. I thought that you know this we started the game quite a an interesting way and we played in such a weird way that you know it was almost like we were playing three at the yep. back with Walker sitting quite deep and everyone bombing on um, but um, yeah it was the same old story really anything else to kind of say Glenn, before we get into the first half <laughs> no no not really no. I think yeah I think we've covered the team selection I mean yeah you know, I thought this first half was quite funny the way it started where um, you know the first thing we did was Cummins had a shot <laughs> from long range almost felt a little bit like oh I've been getting a lot of grief I think we've said this on the podcast before you know Ricketts is getting a lot of grief for not having many shots in games so maybe he's getting back to that situation of saying I'll oh, just have a shot from range if he can early doors get <laughs> get the crowd off my back um, at home on Twitter but yeah that was really the, the first start of the game wasn't it Ricketts had a lot uh, Cummins had a long shot over um, but it, it wasn't great was it to be fair and yeah it was it was and it wasn't a great start was it I thought it was just quite a mere start to the game from both teams I thought yeah no it was it was it was a bit funny and yeah there was there was a bit of a danger then you know we saw Rovers counter attack yes. and Grant fired wide after recycling a free kick um, and then then there was that the the kind of the interesting moment where Clark um, basically gone through and um, had a shot um, and he was called offside so really interesting this one we're going to the post match twice now um, but um, Sam Rickett said this was um, two yards onside what's your verdict. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, looking at it from the angle on TV screen, it's impossible for us to tell. I guess that Ricketts was, was banging on in his post-match interview about how... Well, actually, I, I listened to a pre-match interview, actually, with James Bond that he did before the game on Saturday, and he was talking about, we have this technology and we've got the ability to see these these things straight away after the game, so I'm content to go into conferences and say, oh, that was two, offside, two yards offside. He's convinced it was. Um, it sounds like the players were convinced it was, uh, but the referee and the linesman weren't, and unfortunately, that's League One football. You have to you have to make up for it. There, were, there will be errors where we'll get the advantage as the season goes on I've no idea I, I couldn't tell on that one because of the angle of the camera I mean it, it looks pretty level to me but he could yeah, easily have been offside close. Yeah. but he definitely wasn't two yards onside we can say good, that, so. good god no <laughs> yeah 
interesting interesting tweet from Liam Evans, and I'll let you answer this one, yeah. Glenn. So he said, um, you know, if, if we'd scored that goal, we've only would have sat back and defended the one goal lead for the rest of the game. <laughs> um, and he put like the snooze emoji, uh, yeah. which is a risk, but all that could have happened. Yeah, we definitely wouldn't have done much more attacking after that, would we? We would have, we would have definitely sat back a little bit. But yeah, at the end of the day, what happened, you know, we let a goal in, don't we? Pretty much straight away, straight yeah, after. Sloppy. <laughs> so pretty, very, very sloppy. Pretty standard. So yeah, it's a bit of mix up in, yeah, Cummings is quite deep. Um, he kind of goes to the ball. Don, um, Norburn goes to the ball. Then Cummings does, and basically we end up fouling and and messing up. It's a bit of an innocuous foul, really, in the kind of you know, in our half. Um, basically, a ball into the box. Um, Clark doesn't track his man. Keeper flaps, and um, we're one 0 down. We gave a lot of free kicks away in this game, and and when they yeah. when they did us on this one after fifteen minutes, you did worry every time they had one. But it just seems to be a tactic, weren't they? Like, I'm not saying they were diving. No. But but um but it's 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 probably a tactic and something they probably mentioned. You know, if you get the chance to go down, get a free kick, get it because Shrewsbury are vulnerable on, on when defending We're set def- pieces. Definitely vulnerable defending set pieces at the moment for whatever reason. I mean, the keeper made a massive hash of it, didn't he? He was very flappy. He looks, you know, Ilyev looks pretty poor under the high ball. I thought during the whole game, and this was just one example of it. He didn't look confident coming to get the ball out. Um, but maybe that early mistake kind of affected him. It's hard to tell. He was poor. And Clark, you know, for a man that's played, what, 300 probably games in his career? I mean, that was lazy. And defended set pieces mm. in his career as and well. And being probably a, a linchpin, a, a really big part of, you know, Sheffield United defending set pieces the way they defended. Get Clark back, you know, he was always a, an extra utility in there. That was lazy, lame, and, and just, you know, not switched on. Mentally, you know, mentally not there. And, and I didn't like it. I, I thought it was really, really crap defending. You know, you can't really blame the centre-backs. They had their men. But for Clark, you know, if you're going to come back and do that job, do that job. Otherwise, just, you know, stay out of it and let someone else have a crack because it was pathetic, to be honest with you. Yeah, no, definitely. Mm. Definitely. Um, and then, yeah. Game over. Unfortunately, then we've got goal board. Yeah, so a bit of a game over. Um, was this when your brother tweeted? Um, Might have done. Yeah, 1-0. It doesn't take one or two, and everyone always feels like, oh, well, we're not going to score enough goals to get back in it, aren't we? But um, but this is a story, isn't it? Your brother's story tweet, which is, yeah, miss a chance, concede, yeah. um, try really hard, and then basically lose. Um, standard. And it just seemed to be a bit of a standard story to that. That is um, so, yeah. Ricketts ball. <laughs> it is Ricketts ball. Um, so, yeah, Vela came on and went to left-back. Uh, Zambiet came on. Bit of a surprise, Vela went left-back. Apparently, he's played left-back or full-back a bit in his career. Yeah, but the whole point of this is that how much did we, on this podcast and other people during all of our pre-season preparations and people on social media, you know, it's it's easy to be, you know, wise after the event. But in this circumstance, everybody said, why have we not signed a backup left-back? So this is before we obviously signed Daniels, we should say. But, you know, as soon as Goldborn gets into that game, you're like, for crying out loud, it just proves how bad the squad building has been, you know. Massively overloaded on one side and got no cover at left-back. And we were obviously going to get an injury to Goldborn at some point. He's pretty old getting on his career. A bit unlucky with that injury. I think he um, did his ribs, to be fair. So it was just about the way he fell. But, you know, we were always going to need cover. And, and so, you know, you suddenly having to play Vela there. Yeah, he did an OK job. But if that situation had been going on for a while and we weren't able to pick up Daniels a free transfer, it would have cost us going down the line. There's no way Vela, there's no yeah. way Vela could have continued well, to play And it's only a short-term fix as well. You know, we yep. needed a long-term fix for that position. Correct, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm sure Sam Rickes have tried to find a left-back, but he's failed to get one. Um, it sounds like the Daniels deal was progressing for quite a while and they couldn't get it done. And then obviously Goldborn gets injured and you suspect that Charlie Daniels' agent came back with another yeah. zero on the end of the contract, which probably didn't help our negotiating position. But at that point in time, we had to sign him. Otherwise, Vela would have been playing there for the next few weeks up to Christmas. So um, we'll get to the Daniel sign in South News, Ollie, which was fantastic, I think, in terms of his quality. But uh, yeah, just just a, another, you know, let a goal in and that happens straight away and you just think, bloody hell, what, what's going on at the moment? 
No. <sighs> Not good. But Shooter Town did play carry on trying. Um, really nice through ball from Mado. Um, Clark fires wide. Um, should have scored. And I'd say that was our first chance, real chance Sitter. of the game. Yep. Um, yeah, really good opportunity. There was a good walk across and Pierre headers wide, but it wasn't really a threat. Um, it was it was quite wide, so you can't really count that as a as a genuine goal opportunity. Um, and then there was a Vela cross and Clark um, headers into the post. I'd say that's our chance number two. Uh, that is that is a decent chance. He should have scored both of those chances for me. Again, a player yeah. of his quality, and you know he's, he's been doing okay in these opening games, but. He... He should have, should have had at least two goals in this game if he was if he was at the level that I think he should be at. Maybe he's going to take him a few weeks to get up to it, but disappointed that he didn't take one of those chances, if yeah. I'm honest with you. Two good chances yep. there. Um, and then there was a quick free kick and a, a second good chance for Rovers. Um, and Town basically, yeah, just stood still. Yes. And also Cummings is really slow to, to kind of stop them taking that free kick. Um, so that was quite not very good. Uh, <laughs> and then before the end of this half, Cummings has a turn and shoots. Yeah. Um, and it was not, not a good effort. Nope. I don't even, you know, it's a chance. And it, I think it was it was the one where it actually forced a little save out the keeper, wasn't it? I think that was it. But it, was, it wasn't yeah. much much to write home about, was it? And yeah, we get no. to half time and we were saying the same old things. Not creating enough chances. Not creating anywhere near enough chances on goal. Threatening the goalkeeper. Making mistakes. And yeah, at the back. And giving ourselves no margin for error again. And um, it was a frustrating first half to watch. You know, there was a lot of, there were some positives, which I think you'll get to at the end of the game. And people thought we were trying to play a more attacking brand of football and it was maybe a bit more interesting. But pff, Bristol Rovers are one of those teams that should come and we should have a good chance of beating. They're not one of the perennial, you know, teams that do well in League One. They're more of a team at our level, aren't they? And to be losing at home to them was, was a bit depressing at half time. But you, yeah. you did think there was a chance of getting back into it still, I suppose. Yeah. Well, it's only 1-0. <laughs> in, in, in previous years, yes. But um, yeah, in terms of how this team is going mm. and how, how we're performing, no. Um, it just feels like a self-fulfilling prophecy at the moment. Um, so second half will be quick. Um, basically, um, Cummings didn't react. They had a short corner. There was a good save from Ilyev. And I'd say that was um, Rovers' um, third good chance of the game. Yeah. Um, so they're actually now leading on chances. And the reason why I've got this in the agenda will come to at the end. Um, and then there's a bit good play from Walker to Vela to Norburn, amazing through ball to Clark. It's probably the best pass Norburn's ever done. Um, and it goes to Clark and then to Cummings, who leaves it to Zambiek, um, and the ball gets cleared off the line. That was a really good chance. That was our chance number three. That was actually a really good bit of football, wasn't it? Great? It was nice, and that was unlucky. You know, you, you say that's genuinely that unlucky. You know, if someone someone does something and they clear it off the it line, it wasn't the keeper. It was their player yeah, who did it. Defender and. Yeah, it was nice to see a little bit of nice link-up play. And there was some good link-up play. You've got to say that, that Cummins, Ado and, and Clark did link up quite well uh, as the game went on at certain times. But you never really felt you never really felt like they were going to you know get a really good chance. There was a few balls that sort of skimmed across the six-yard box and no one was there. But I'm not sure I count those as particularly useful. I can't count those as poor crosses because they just got turfed in there. And yeah, all right, it beat a defender and sort of rolled in an area where... There's no one within five yards, and it looks nice, and you kind of think it's quite exciting, but it doesn't. It doesn't create a chance. It doesn't go down as anything no. useful at all. It's not useful at all. It's just a waste of time, um, to be honest. Um, and then there's one final kind of moment in the game where there's a shot from Hare from Rovers, um, a good block from Walker. Um, that was for me was chance number four, um, and Rovers attack again. So in terms of genuine chances, watching um, the extended highlights back and remembering obviously the game and making a few notes, I would say it was four chances to Rovers to three to Shrewsbury. Um, but a few stats for you, Glenn. Um, only two shots on target. 
Um, we had a better pass accuracy than um, than we did on the weekend. With it was seventy two percent, five percent higher, and sixty four percent possession. Um, but I think this seems to be a tactic now that teams let us have the ball. Um, and yeah, um, I was obviously super negative on Tuesday night, so I did do a few positives. <laughs> um, I think Walker was really good in his distribution, and him Walker and the manager gets some credit for that. High was good. Um, Odo and Cummings and Clark did link up well, but they obviously didn't finish. Uh, and I'll say Ollie Norburn was a bit more effective, wasn't he, in attack rather than putting in a deeper role? Uh, yeah, I think if you're looking for positives, those are about the only things you could cling on to. Yeah. Um, and we won't really go into the negatives. We've kind of run through this game quite quickly because we yeah. want to cover those in more general later on. But there yeah. were a lot of negatives. And it's yeah. not a case of just being critical of Sam Ricketts, which we will be later on. But there's certainly a lot of players who really need to have a good look at themselves, particularly our leaders in the squad. Um, so yeah. I'll leave it at that, I think. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I think that was that was as much as I can be bothered to say about that game. I think it's, it's, the, the, the whole essence of this week is that the t- two games this week were exactly the same. So we'll, we'll cover yeah. more as we get onto the second game and, and what we say about the second game is probably... And the final piece. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So let's do... Actually, just do... You can do the top threes, Glenn. And they're both the same. Yeah, we both got the same and I think most people would have picked the same. I think Ado was really good in terms of coming into the team and giving us the energy. Obviously, he'd been a big part of coming off the bench and getting the, the, the corner for the goal at Wimbledon. He'd earned his chance, I think. His energy is a little bit um, more useful, I think, than... It's a bit harsh on Barnett. He gives us a different kind of thing, but I think if you're going to have you know a three playing narrow and more as a sort of a front three, you'd play a doe over Barnett. But I thought he was really good and and yeah, didn't score, but was was lively. Um, and you say Walker came back in um, and was really good in his distribution, so we both went second place for him. And again, you gave it high um, for for just playing out of position and not looking like yeah. a like he was too. He had a lot of ball. Mm. He started the second half really bad. I, didn't, I don't know why. I just yeah, get the ball away. Him and yeah. gave away seven times in a row. <laughs> I don't normally count, but it's just really weird. It's how it happened but apart from that yeah he did have a lot of ball he was good outlet it's not and I think Sam Ricketts Sam Ricketts and his team prepared for this game expected possession they played three at the back and in that kind of prep and analysis it worked however I did see on social media the Bristol Rovers analyst was quite chipper on social media Mm. saying basically the plan worked Um, and it's clearly (laughs) the plan is quite simple now for Shrewsbury yes let them have the ball counter attack get set pieces and you'll get three points. Yep, exactly. Um, and that's what happened here. But the manager seemed to view this quite differently, Glenn. Yes. So the manager said this was, performance was excellent. They're a position-based team and we had 66% possession of 500 passes. Lee and Clark was on side by, by two yards mm. and balls into the box. As a performance, you can't do much more but but, but, but put the ball in the back of the next. Best, best performance for a long time. We could have scored four or five easily um, Scott Goldborn and then he said Scott Bourne went to A&E and High was excellent and Love is out of favour but I don't I, if, you know I've got to be pretty critical here Glenn that performance wasn't excellent no no, we lost the game yeah um, yes there are two obviously the result and the performance are two different things but we couldn't have scored four or five we could have scored a couple um, we're not prolific and we're not um, you know efficient with our chances um, so I th- it felt like for me this was a bit of um defensive approach from Sam Ricketts to keep talking about all these stats and stuff but to be honest yeah stats and stuff are nice and I use stats all the time we use stats on the podcast to kind of Mm. do some analysis but the simple thing is we didn't score and we lost. Yeah. And it's interesting, his tactic in press conferences over the last three games is we win away at Wimbledon and he tears the players a new one saying they're not following instructions and, and goes a bit mad, doesn't he really? Which was interesting. 
And then we lose two home games, which we possibly should have expected to win maybe both, if not one of. And he's really, really positive about the performances, which to me isn't a fair reflection. You can bang on about possession. And yeah, we had more of the ball and 500 passes. But how much of that ball was sitting with Norburn and, and Walker just hanging around in the front of our two defenders or playing it back to Vela or... How many of those passes were when we got up to halfway through this, the, the opposition half, someone turned around and played it back into central midfield? You know, n- How many of those passes were genuinely creative or forward-thinking passes? A lot of them were just cross-field balls out to the, to the wide defender who'd take a touch and then go backwards. So, yeah, I still think there's a lot of pass- passivity, if that's a word, I'm not sure it is. There's still a lot of passivity about the way we play. And I don't, I don't, I'm not really on board with people saying this is a much more entertaining brand of football to watch, Ollie. It, no. It's more, it might it's be more, more attacking, it's, but it's, it's, it's more attacking in terms of throwing numbers maybe. forward. I had a yeah. bit of a debate on Saturday, on, on, yeah, on Saturday about that. Um, but we were more attacking, we are more attacking, we're throwing more players forward, but it's not actually doing anything. No. We're, not, we're not getting any, any good results from it. No. Um, so, yeah, Rubbish. That, that leaves us on Tuesday night. Um, town fans pretty livid. Um, and but we do have so now we'll we we'll move on to the Rochdale game. So yeah, we'll move on to the Rochdale game now, Ollie. Um, but just before we do, I suppose that rather than slot this in in Salop news like we probably normally would, I think in the context this week it's worth bringing up the the signing of um, of Daniels in the week. Um, Charlie Daniels uh, from well Bournemouth, or he got released, didn't he? Because um, he was training with them. So yeah, Charlie Daniels obviously you know, played against us at the at the New Meadow when Bournemouth were was starting to make their charge up the leagues. Stayed with them the whole way there. Has been sort of Mister Consistency and Mister sort of Bournemouth, hasn't he? In, in reality, he was one of the the last of those lads that started in League One to move on. Um, had two serious knee injuries in the last few years. Had one knee, um, came back from it, and then has had a knee had had his other knee go. So injury concerns. But yeah, we've signed him for sixty nine days, Ollie. Um, to January, you know, a short-term free transfer to, to fill our gap with with Goldborn getting injured, but some genuine excitement. I think I'd, I'd class it as a wow signing. You know, I, I would never have expected us to be signing someone like Charlie Daniels um, this season, particularly after the transfer window closed and we were struggling for a left back. So, um, a player of genuine quality coming on in age, like a, a few players we've signed recently. But yeah, I, I think on the face of it, a signing we massively needed, um, and a player who's, who's obviously got genuine quality from what we saw on Saturday. Yeah, really good signing, exciting. Um, the short-term deal works well for both sides. Um, as you pointed out, Glenn, he's only signed for 69 days. Um, so it's probably, even if we're even if we're paying him like 7, 8k a week, it's obviously it's not going to add up to that much. Um, and yeah, he brings in some quality. Um, um, and yeah, it's good signing really. It's good, it's good enough just because it'll probably keep Wally offset pieces when he gets back. So even just for that, <laughs> that's probably, probably worth its weight in gold to be honest with you. But yeah, I think it was like after that really rubbish result on, on the Tuesday night again in terms of, you know, that step backwards from Wimbledon again in terms of point hauls. Um, it was a nice pick-me-up, wasn't it, in the middle of the week there to think, oh, right, okay, that, that's good. We've got a quality signing. Um, but then, obviously, when something good comes along as a Town fan, something bad occurs pretty much instantly afterwards at the moment, Ollie. Yeah, it's um, it um, it's a yeah. We lost again. Um, it was Shrewsbury one, um, Rochdale two. Um, Rochdale played. We need to almost come up with a name for this tactic that opposition clubs are now doing to us. Um, yeah, but it's like yeah, let you have the ball. And obviously, Ro- Rochdale are a team that are famed for in recent years for playing high possession football. Again, they let us have the ball, play us on the counter attack, and look for set pieces. Um, so, and it's not, and it's fair to say that you know Rochdale are not exactly a side that are high in form. No. Um, so the, the victory they had on Saturday was the first time they'd um, won in eight away, eight away games. Mm-hmm. Obviously, not exactly a team in you know, prolific form. Um, and in terms of Shrewsbury, we'd only won one uh, in nine at home. 
which makes it now one in ten at home. Yep. Um, so pretty poor. Um, there was a few changes to the starting lineup. Um, Fossey's back from his in- mystery injury, uh, and then we had Burgoyne back in goal, which is a bit of a surprise. <laughs> yeah. We had Williams and Pierre in central defence. Dalian Dan- Daniel slotted in as we expected him to do. Then we had Norburn, High, and Vela in midfield, and then we carried on with the f- same front three, which I thought was a bit of a surprise, given because I did on um I always like to post on the why, um, who scored website. And one of the things it said about Rochdale is they like to attack on the flanks and they play um, a winger and a fullback. So going three strikers for me was always going to be a bit of a risky option. Um, and yeah, it potentially it it didn't really work. Um, yeah, it was a bit of a risky option. Um, so yeah, any thoughts, Glenn, on the, the starting lineup? Just before I get to starting lineup, I, I quite like the way you said. And uh, yeah, and Town have only won one in ten, and and that's quite poor. Let's be honest, that's fucking shit. Our, our home form's so bad, it's unbelievable. And again, it's pretty horrendous, actually. <laughs> and if you really think about it, like yeah. ten home games and you've won one, that is pretty much automatic relegation form. Yes, definitely. Like, yeah, bit of a weird phrase, but you know that's guaranteed relegation form. It's normally sackable offence that, but um, we shall get to that when we talk about this after this game. But yeah, at home form terrible. In terms of the, in terms of the team, yeah, glad to see Fossey back. Um, quite you know really excited actually for for this I follow game to see what Daniel had to offer because obviously not watched Bournemouth all that much over the last few years. Um, just to see if the the sort of lived up to the hype. Um, you know Williams starting was an interesting one for me, Ollie. I would always play Pierre and Ebanks. I always will. But I guess he was. Bit of rotation, keep Williams fit as well. Ebanks was ill, apparently. It, although oh, okay. he was on the bench, so make of that what you will. Presumably, oh, pres- presumably he didn't have COVID if he was on the bench, so that was a weird yeah. one. Um, and I think that Ricketts post-match said that Ilyev was injured, but I think Ilyev was on the bench as he well. Was Il- yeah. yeah, he so, was injured, but he was on the bench. What, what would have happened if Bergoyne got injured? injured? He would have to play, wouldn't he, which is a bit of an odd yeah. one. So why not put Gregor on the bench? I don't know. Um, well, he was on loan and we couldn't get him back. Oh, is he, is he, is he on loan? I must have missed that. Yeah. No, I think we probably yeah, did talk about that. It's been a lot going on this week. So I guess, yeah... It, the moment, if if Burgoyne gets injured, then we're proper screwed, aren't we? We're goalkeepers. We're back in a, a right back situation, aren't we? We've to get another one. <laughs> Can't do that now, can we? We'll have to get a free transfer from someone. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe Ricketts is still looking. I think, for... I think you get an emergency goalkeeper. Though. Yes, you can actually. You're right. That's a rule, isn't it? There you go, Ollie. You switched on today. So yeah, it was, I was I was quite glad to see Burgoyne back though after my kind of support yeah. of him. Um, and he did all right, didn't he? Yeah, he did fine. I think he was he would he was probably one of the players you couldn't really be too critical of on Saturday. Um, and yeah, so team team was what it was, I guess. Um, and yeah, it was straight away, straight into the game. <laughs> Rochdale had the first chance. Yeah, it did. And um, yeah, I, it's funny. I put out on on social media on on Twitter about Rathbone because he's one of those players that's re- just really annoying. He's brilliant. Like, he just seems like a really annoying player. I think he's a really good league one uh, player. Oh yeah, I'm going to definitely try and sign him on my football manager <laughs> save. Um, he's really good footballer, really good technically, good. He's really smart. He always seems to be in the right place. Yeah. Um, he he does. I, the reason I didn't like him before, I remember the Hurst season, he did a bit of shithousery. Yes, he did. Um, but if he's on your own team, you don't really mind that. Um, so, yeah, he's a good player. And within, you know, quite the start of the game, he was free and headed over, um, which is not good. And so, Town give the ball away and um, they attack us really quickly. Long ball forward um, and then Newby fires wide. He should have scored. We should have been 1 0 down at yep. that point. Yep, we should Absolute have. sitter. Yep. Um, long throw from Daniels. Um, and then Cummings fires over. Um, Cummings got his yeah, he's kind of token shot in pretty early. 
Yeah, I think we'll start with Daniel's long throws. They're going to be pretty useful for the next few yeah. months. He got a really good long throw. And um, if you've got someone like Clark to aim at there, you think we'll probably get some joy eventually. Um, yeah, there was a, and yeah, people like that. a couple of moments where it kind of almost worked, the long throw. But in general, you know, we'll, we'll talk about some other bits. But his set piece taken was exceptional, wasn't it, to be fair? His first couple of corners didn't quite get there. But then obviously we'll get to the goal and, and, and everything else. But yeah, you know, just for set pieces, he, he was really good. Um, and his overall performance was great, which we'll, we'll cover as we go through. Yeah, and um, yeah, unfortunately, um, goal kick. <laughs> we conceded from a goal kick, effectively. Oh, it's um, rubbish. Yeah, so goal kick from Dale. Um, Tarana pulled out of position. Um, and this comes back to this point I made at the start about not having wingers. Um, and we we're kind of basically just leaving um, basically Vela to kind of defend the left flank. Um, and basically we're out of position from trying someone trying to win the ball. Um, and then basically, um, yeah, ball comes out to the left. Daniels doesn't put any pressure on the man on the ball. He crosses it into the into the box, back post, um, and there he is, Rathbone there, hits into the back of the net, 1-0. Um, I don't really like seeing this. Ollie Norburn starts moaning and stretching his arms out um, and shouting <laughs> at people. That's his leadership, I don't know if he's doing that for his own self and worth or <laughs> he feels that's going to help, but for me, that's his... I don't know. I always want to see that. I always think people are doing that for the camera. Uh, yeah, Norbin's an interesting one, Ollie. Like just before I talk about the goal, but he's he's gone through a really tough time, hasn't he? Recently, to yeah, be fair, personally, and, and it is quite hard to be overly harsh on him because I can't imagine the pain and and, and suffering he's been going through because of that, and and his family as well. But you know, we also have to view him as a footballer, and is it is it. Is he playing any differently to what he was before all of that sort of stuff happened? I don't think he was. I think the things that people are critical about him now are things that you could have been critical about before that situation happened. So, um, you know, we've been critical about him over, over the years as well in certain aspects. But as a leader at the moment, he's just he's not stepping up. Um, I think we need we need someone to get to grips with some of these lads. And, and you know, when, when we're letting goals like that in, it's not just a case of holding your arms out to be critical of someone. You know, maybe put, put your arm around them or if you're going to ball them out, ball them out properly. I don't know how you do it, but I don't know. It, there's, there's a few people who have been being critical of him as a captain and, and you would do when you're in such poor form but um, he did miss the start of the season with his injury didn't he as well I suppose and a, and a couple of games through that thing so maybe he's not quite got back to his best yet but um, do we reg- one of the questions I saw a lot of people was it, are we already starting to regret not selling him for a bit of money um, last January or something because he's out of contract this summer and uh, you know no one's going to buy him this January because of Covid and no. there you go you lose a player well, he's, not, he's not playing very well either yeah, you lose a player that you no. had for three years that was probably worth at least three or four hundred grand a couple of months ago, and it's worth basically nothing now. So, yeah, it's yeah. another missed missed effort by the by the team uh, by the goal. That's another missed effort by the club, I suppose. But you know, you, you take the risk. Uh, I don't really blame the club so much, I suppose. Um, no, but, you don't. yeah, it's a bit of a fake situation. Um, but the goal was awful, wasn't it? And and very basic defending um, that it just wasn't done well. Um, couldn't really blame Burgoyne. He tried to come out and close it down as much as possible, didn't he? But just a good finish and and, and couldn't really do too much more than, than that, I suppose. But yeah, one nil down again. And um, you know, as we said before, you're already thinking about it being struggle to get back uh, on in equal terms, really. And we don't really. Did you see a response from the team? No. Not really. No, I worry about them conceding, Ollie. Mentally, yeah. I really do. Well, yeah. As soon as it's, as I say, it's almost that like self-fulfilling prophecy. Now, as soon as we concede, are oh, we expected to be conceded? Are we going to score again? No. There didn't seem to be any fight, um, any desire to try and get back to the game. Very, very passive, yeah. lacklustre performance from all the players. Um, pretty woeful, to be honest. And um, twelve minutes, um, fourteen minutes <sighs> later, um, it was two 0 Yeah. And it didn't really seem that surprising. Um, so yeah. So and this is 
not good. So Daniels goes in for a header, loses the header, miles away from it. Yeah, Paul. And then basically Pierre's out of position, striker gets ahead of him, one and one with Harry. He can't do anything about it. Fires home 2 0. Um, and I'm sure, like me, I'm sure you were livid at this point, Glenn. I was pretty bloody livid, yeah. I was already livid from the first goal, though, because you could just see the bloody writing on the wall, couldn't you? That Rochdale, you know, b- between these two goals, when they counted us, they looked like they were going to score every time or at least create a good chance. Which yeah. they basically someone did. put on Twitter that yeah. every time they attacked, they were going to score, and you have to agree with that. Yeah, and every time we attacked, you know, we just kind of came backwards after a while and didn't, didn't start to create anything. Um, and yeah, you know, to. Just poor again. Let's be honest about it. You know, it's it's all just not good defending. You you can be critical of a few players. Starting to worry about how many headers Pierre missed in this game. He looked particularly um, ropey. I thought on Saturday. You know, he was caught yeah. on the ball a couple of times. He he did a few sort of fifty p headers, and his form seems to be d- disappearing along. But this is the trouble, isn't it? If you don't score, yep. more and more pressure comes onto your defence. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Pierre's our most dangerous player going forward at the moment, so we have to keep him yeah. on the pitch. But um, yeah, it, it, just, it just wasn't great, was it? And it just, I was thinking more generally again. Then you talked about, oh, I didn't see a reaction, and actually, it's it's annoying me more not to see a reaction at the moment because you've got Norburn, you've got Vela, who've played so many League One games and are experienced footballers. You've got Clark and Cummins, who have played loads of football, particularly Clark. You've got a guy like Josh Daniels. You've got a Pierre and and, and at the back, and you know these are all experienced footballers who have played hundreds and hundreds of games and. The, just the just the, the lack of kind of passion that I'm seeing is what worries me. And one of the things I saw a lot of people talking about, Ollie, which I'll ask you is, do you think that you see, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm objectively seeing less passionate play in our football at the moment. Even when we're celebrating goals, doesn't seem... And, it, I don't, and people can't say, don't give, don't give me the fans. Yes. Um, this is just that's what I was about to say. professional yeah. pride. Yeah. Sorry, mate. Sorry. No, that's fine. It's, you answered the question, yeah. It's, someone was like, well, there's no fans there. It's difficult to get that excited. But... You know, I never played in front of football fans. I've bloody loved scoring every time I scored, probably because it didn't happen very often, Ollie. But you know, there is that pride, isn't there? And these are professional know. footballers. Yeah, it's not. We're not. We're not talking about. We're not talking about. You know, I don't know. I don't mean rude, but you know, Hormond Hill United, or you know, I'm just making up football teams. You know, mm. like Sunday League team, and you're going, oh, they're a bit crap today in the pub. This is professional footballers being paid pretty decent money um, to play professional football. Um, and there doesn't seem to be any collective will to, to try and get back into the game. And going down 2-0 to uh, to Rochdale at home that early on in a game when you're in poor form is objectively embarrassing. It should embarrass yeah. you to the point that you just want to fight back into it. And I know we got a goal as the half went on, but I felt like that was quite lucky. Yeah. It was a set-piece sort of thing. And um, yeah, I, I, it just wasn't great, was it? And one of the questions I put on Twitter mm. today was, has our mentality got worse since John Pitts left Ollie? <laughs> um, it wasn't great in the first no, place, to be fair, it? but it has got worse. Oh, I'd no. say there is the remarkable, there is a marked decline um, in the ment, kind of the mental strength of this team um, and, and desire. And there doesn't yep. seem to be any desire or work rate or effort mm. at the moment. It seems pretty poor. Um, we did score. We did score. Um, yeah, we, we well, we nearly scored from a header, a Pierre header um, from a corner, hits the bar, which is unlucky. Um, and then we had another corner, um, Daniels again, um, ball into the box, and Pierre, um, outside the six-yard box, heads into ball in the back of the net. Um, and as I tweeted at the time, lifeline for Sam Rickards. Massive, yeah. We, we bloody need it, to be fair. And interestingly, you know, one of the reasons why Daniels coming in is so useful is because in reality, this season, the only way we can score in the league is through set pieces. All of our goals in the league this season have been set-piece goals. It's terrible. I saw some, some guy was giving me some criticism for pointing it out. Yeah. Um, but... You know, and he, he was saying, "I don't care how we score." Okay, that's kind of a, that, yeah. I understand that's that's a valid kind of argument in a sense, but it's not it's not going to achieve you anything. You know, you're going to score two set pieces of goal a game. 
No. That's just not going to happen. It doesn't happen for us. You might have a game once in a while where you get to score a couple of goals from set pieces, but you're not going to win games playing that football. And that's why that, that's why um, not scoring in open play is, is such a um, fundamental flaw in this team. Mm. And, and you know, as we said, it's supposed to be a team playing this attacking brand of football all of a sudden. And we come in at half-time, 2-1 down, and we've only had two shots on target. Again, in a game. And then Ricketts was banging on at the end, which we'll talk about, about how many shots we had. But again, for a half, two shots on target is not a good outcome. That is not a good result for a home team. You should be getting more than that. And, you know, we've looked at lots of stats over the last few weeks about how our uh, um, amount of shots on target we're having are just generally lower than pretty much all the other League One seasons. And that didn't change on Saturday. We still were nowhere near, anywhere near mm-hmm. the levels of clinicalness you need. But, you know, that was our time. We were 2-1 down. It was a lifeline, Ollie. But, I, I, again, I didn't feel like... I didn't. I thought we'd maybe nick a point. I never thought like we'd go on and get two more and win it. No, no, it never happens. No, there's no <laughs> way we we're going to get three goals. Um, and I'd never really thought we were going to get back into it. To be honest, no, really. Okay, uh, I didn't have any faith at all. Mm. Um, second half starts. Um, yeah, high fires over from a corner. It was not too bad an effort. Um, yeah, hard. Pierre. Pierre has a, another effort from a corner. He, as you say, Glenn, he is our biggest threat in the he game, was. which is pretty embarrassing. <laughs> Hits it hard into the deck and goes over. Um, that was a bit, un, a bit unlucky. Yeah, he did it too hard, didn't he, to be honest with you? Yeah. It was like one of those ones where... And, and the same happened with Fossey later on. We'll talk about his chance. But they're clearly told to head the ball down hard. But both those chances may may have been better if they'd have tried to not not head them down and just head them straight into the goal because I don't think the keeper would have saved them. But yeah, clearly there's some coaching there at heading it down. Um, but yeah, there you go. I suppose that's what that's what everybody says about you know corners head the ball down and make the keeper move. But uh, maybe, maybe it wasn't the right option for both of those chances. But um, yeah, there you go. It's, it's, sorry, just before we get to start the second half, I got to say, Ollie, this second half made me like I was, I've been fuming about like the the game on Tuesday and the result and stuff. And then Daniel's kind of perked me up a little bit, and it's still early in the season. But this second half solidified why I'm absolutely pissed off about Sam Ricketts football and where we're at as a football club with him as manager and this this half sums it up for me Ollie it completely and it's for everything that someone would ask me about what I think about the current situation you can cover it in this half of football yeah it was it was dire uh, <laughs> and not only dire we just seemed to get worse um, yeah we did that's the there point was a couple of opportunities Rothborn and Rothborn never, never, never scored again um, there was a long throw from from Daniels um, and Vela got the ball in the box into Fossey's header down that yeah. was a decent save from the goalkeeper it was a good save but unfortunately, Glenn, that was our one chance. So half. our right back had a header. Um, so so a bit of admiration for getting men forward. Um, but that was our uh, one shot on target in the half. We had three shots on target in the whole game out of 20 shots. 15% of our shots were on target. Um, yeah, I think our strikers have had two shots on target. And one of them was a goal, which which Clark's got. I think they've had two shots on target in three games. That's it. From the front three attacking, exciting players. It's, it's just awful. Isn't Having it? three strikers as well. Not many teams <laughs> exactly. play with three strikers. And what was that stat again? They've, yeah, I think like, it's three shots. On, shot. three, three, that's it. It's three, it might be two or three. I'd have to add it up. It's yeah. no more than three. Um, but I think it's yeah. It's 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 not great. It's output. one each <laughs> yeah. in the course of 118 minutes. <laughs> I don't think a does add one. To be fair, <laughs> so no, he, he doesn't get he doesn't get to count. But um, yeah, just just awful. To be fair, and as this half went on. The, the, they just seemed like the heart went out of them and, and maybe I'm being overly harsh but they just they just no. it just felt like they knew they were never going to win the game and at best no. they were going to draw and really that's not that exciting and there was a bit of bit of lack of just drive and I don't know the the, the substitutions were very meh for Odd. me yeah Walker well, we come... found out we've got a sixth right back in the squad <laughs> so that was a positive <laughs> just just in case we get the full five injuries Barnett can play it right back now so that's great to yeah. be fair I mean he's played there for the youth team I believe so again fine but it was harsh for him because he got brought on as an attacking substitute didn't he for 
I can't remember who he came on for now originally, but he, he came on, I think it was the first sub, to have a bit of a go, and he, he had a couple of goes, and then suddenly we're, we're making another change for Zamberek, and he's like, right, Barnett, off you go, stick stick yourself back at right back, and I thought it was really harsh on Barnett, you know. He came on for high. That was it, yeah. So it's like, fair enough. He, he, and then Zamberek came on um, in, in extra time. <laughs> he was terrible. So I don't know what he's going to do in extra time. Um, yeah, and then he went to right back. So he wasn't right back the whole half. <laughs> no, he wasn't, but it yeah. just you know shows that it's uh, anyone's got to play anywhere at the moment with all these right back injuries. But yeah, the other and sub. Cummings that- a number ten. I didn't realise. So we'll play you up front for like a, a game, half a game, <laughs> and you haven't scored, mate. So I'm going to try you as a number ten now. Oh my god! Yeah, it scored over the shot. Zambrick was terrible when he came on for that eight minutes as well. He had one really terrible shot right at the end. But um, that wasn't a shot. Sorry, it was a cross, wasn't it? It just went straight out of play. Um, but the, the sub that seemed to miff everybody the most was classic. Classic Sam Ricketts substitution. You know, losing a game at home, which is quite often, what's the sub he makes? He, he, he subs a midfielder for a defensive midfielder and just, you know, takes a bit of impetus out of it. And fine, it kind of helps. I think you've been a bit harsh oh, I don't know. There. I understand what you mean. But he basically meant that basically then Norberg could pitch on a bit, bit more. Um, he didn't. And then Walker <laughs> sat. That was, the, I guess, the, maybe the idea. That was the plan. But, but, this, but the thing is, though, Glenn, what times we were playing with so many men forward and our build-up play was terrible. So yeah. and this for me and this is me you know I've said this so many times now you know playing people put you know play two strikers we'll score more goals well we're playing three strikers and we're not scoring more goals it's obviously about the process isn't it yeah. the yeah. football's about transition and process um, and having three strikers for us is not scoring is not scoring goals mm. and okay. so this is a nice little experiment of playing with three strikers and yeah we're not scoring from open play nope I don't know what's going to happen he's just going to have to look at it until it clicks it's just not it's going to cost us but yeah you're right he changed coming to the 10 and that didn't really work either and I don't know all, all the subs didn't really affect the game at all and again that's what you want a manager to do but did not do that um and then, yeah, as was we said, the, the whole game and the whole game on Tuesday was this standard thing. And you're right, we need a name for it, Ollie. You know, standard thing, get ahead, play Shrewsbury Town at arm's length, um, and it just works again. And this was that stat I was trying to tell you about, Ollie, right? So if a team goes 2 0 up against us, it's, it's pretty much always game over. So in all the games we played under Sam Ricketts in the league, which is 67 games, in all those games where we've conceded two games, we've only come back twice. Once was that mad comeback at Accrington, where we were 2-0 down and 1-3-2, which was a really random game. And the other one was where we beat that absolutely terrible South End team 4-3. Yeah. But even then, that game... struggling now. Yeah. Like they're, they're a team in 3-4. I feel sorry for their fans. Yeah. Um, but yeah. That's it. It's not... That's the only time <laughs> it's happened. <laughs> so at 2-0 down against Dale, what are the chances we're going to get back in that game? You know, they were better than Accrington and South End that night, I think. So, you know, they had a bit of quality. And I think when we started changing the tactics um, around, they looked even better on the break once we started miff- miffing around with it that last 10 minutes and then injury time. I, I thought the team who were going to go on and get another goal would be, would be Rochdale, to be honest with you. So, yeah, yeah we, we got away with that. Oh, just a minute on, just a second on Rochdale, actually. I'd say a really well-organised side. Drilled, yeah. Um, Really well drilled, all work really well for hard for each other. Um, they came with a game plan, they implemented that game plan, they took their chances, they could have scored more goals. Um, you know, if, if we were doing this pocket now, Glenn, and it was 3 1 with their chances they had, you, you know, that would be fair on Dale, you'd say? Yeah, I think so. I think they played like we played under Paul Hurst. You know, well drilled, well organised, and pretty exciting when they attacked on the and break. You make sometimes. your own luck in in, in football, uh, don't you? Yeah, and got goals, and you know, they'll probably keep them up this season if they keep playing like that. But I don't know. They probably like us. Probably only a few injuries away from being in trouble, so you, you never know, dear. But yeah, they they did okay to be fair. Um, 
and then yeah, the game just drifted through. There was a big injury, wasn't there, to one of their players? He had a, he had a bang on the head, and I think he, he had to go off in the end. But meant there was eight minutes injury time, and so we just basically farted around for eight minutes. Didn't really bother to do all that much in terms of, of attack. And there was a moment where they went down to ten men with that injury, and you know we we were only playing ten men then. So you think, oh fine, come on, let's take advantage. And they trundled the ball out really slowly to Vela. He trundled up to the halfway line, and he hit a long ball, and it literally just went straight out of play. And I thought, if that doesn't sum up. What's going on at the moment? I don't know what does. And it just awful, to be fair. And um, yeah, and then into injury times, Zambrick made a couple of really terrible crosses and we just we didn't threaten at all. And the, the most amusing thing for me on the whole game, watching it on iFollow, was we've had eight minutes of injury time. So that's a lot of time to try and get back in a game. And that doesn't normally happen. Then we had an extra, like, think, 30 to 45 seconds on top of the injury time. Yeah, it was at least 20 seconds, <laughs> at least 30 seconds. Yeah. I remember seeing 8, 8, 20, 8 30, sorry. And what, what Sam is doing right on the final whistle? He's tapping his watch at the fourth official. We've not had enough injury time here. And I just felt like saying, he could have got 80 minutes injury time and these wouldn't score a goal. It, does, it does, wouldn't have mattered at all. I like, just, I don't know, where's the focus? Go on there and get get your arm around the players and or go on just... Tell him what's what about this situation because one of the things again at the end of the match and we're rushing into his comments is he keeps saying to the lads, "Oh, I've been going into the dressing room and telling them, oh, it's all right, it's all fine, other than that goal scoring thing." I wish he'd stop saying that because it clearly isn't all fine. There's clearly things that are not happening in this team, and I wish he'd you know go back to what he did after the Wimbledon game when we lose games at home because you know he he wouldn't have got away with that interview if them and fans are on Saturday, that's for sure. But oh well, that's where we get. Let's, have, let's, let's go to that point now. So, um, yeah, I've been asking you a lot of questions in this podcast. No, it's fine. How would the fans would react it at full time? They would have got booed off. They would have got booed at half time and they got not booed off. Not just booed off, Glenn. Yeah. Would, you would not understand that. Yeah. It would have been terrible. Yeah. It, it would have been, been bad enough on Tuesday. Tuesday night would have been bad. Mm. Saturday against Rochdale, which a team game that, would have, that was a must win game on Saturday. Yeah, it was. I know we're already seven games into the season, but we are, we are, we was, it's our seventh game of the season against a fellow relegation struggler. That was a must-win game. And the fact that the substitutions he did, the way the game went, the, how sloppy we were at conceding goals, yep. that was the perfect storm for a massive fucking <laughs> anger. It would have been angry. Half, I think people were angry Angry still. at full time. It yeah. would have been fucking angry. Yeah, it would have been, you know, I, I could have seen, we had it against, I forget the game now, I keep thinking it was Wickham at home, Maybe last season when we were going for that bad run, or it might be the season before. I can't remember where Ricketts got that. You know, Ricketts out. It was chat. last January when last the January. Ricketts ball was going on and all that kind yeah. of stuff, and we got close. And he must have had no. Sorry, Glenn. It was at the start of February because yes. I made a file at that time about potentially why we mm. might get rid of Sam Ricketts, and that was February the third. Mm. And so I could have seen that happening on Saturday. I can. I, I, the longer it goes on, the more people have become entrenched, and and the more this form has been poor. It, it's difficult, and especially with the home form, and especially in the context of having lost that game on Tuesday, to, to lose two games back to back. Um, with with a bit of a whimper, really, despite people's... It's interesting, the press look at it very differently. I thought they were very generous, Radio Shropshire, and, and maybe some of Lewis's yeah. comments, but I under, completely understand why they can, they have to say that, and I do think they're being honest. Uh, you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm glass half full at the moment, whereas, you know, I think if you work in the media, you're probably always going to look at it with the glass, glass the other side. Sorry. I think I'm glass half empty quite a lot of the time, Ollie, which is fair enough. I've sported shoes all my life, but I think the press are always going to look at it from glass half full. But I think everyone's seen the same thing, really. If we're honest but I about think it, he's been quite he's been quite rude and aggressive to the media. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so um, maybe that is he's done that on purpose, and now he's getting some nicer questions. Um, he is damn lucky there is no fans, massive in that stadium. Yeah, 
really lucky. Even the family stand would have been shot and stuff for him. <laughs> and, and the players, to be fair, and we will cover that as, as we go on in a minute. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it, the funny thing is, and, and we can only judge how fans are talking about things through social media. And I appreciate, I'll say this now, I appreciate not every member of Shoe Town's fan base is on social media, particularly some maybe of our older fans. And I think that our older fans in general, the ones that are not on social media, are probably the ones that are willing to give a manager a lot longer. Let's be honest about it. You know, I think there's that traditional thing of Shoe Town as a team, giving managers time and being patient. And I think I think that's fair. I don't really see that in our younger fan base so much. And, and I don't think that's a problem. I just think it's the nature of how generations change. Um, and, you know, I think I sit somewhere in between. I like to give a manager time, but I'm also quite impatient at times. So I, maybe there's there's that difference. But the, the social media reaction and the reaction on the radio, which probably does include some of our older fans, was toxic on the radio it was really bad like every tweet was anti at Sam Ricketts to the point where I thought they had to go and play this long interview with the Morza manager because <laughs> they were covering them and I felt a little bit like Radio Shops were quite happy to have another piece to play out because every text and twi- Twitter they were getting was was anti and the social media reaction was horrible like everyone like I did a poll after the game just to kind of get a, a vibe again like we, we were doing sort of over the last few months and and the end of last season um sorry and you know I gave three options. One which was like, do you think Sam Ricker should be sacked now? Should he be sacked later, at a later date, say we lose the next two or three? Or should he see his contract out to the end of the season? Because I think generally, I think there's a vibe now that in reality, Sam Ricker is never going to get a contract extension. So at best, he manages us for 40 more games and then we move on. It doesn't ever feel like he's going to be here longer than the end of the season now, does it? No, no, it'd be <laughs> it'd be quite it'd be quite tough to, to do that. Sad. I mean, um, it, in, that's be- Pretending that that scenario happens of a staying up, yes. Then yeah, okay. We stay up. Um, we let these contracts um, end, um, and we both move, move, move um, mm. on. Yeah, um, but we'll, we'll talk about that yeah, in a minute. The, the action was was pretty, and I think I think the interesting thing is, Glenn, is obviously we know from this podcast and through just being Shooter Town fans for a while, and there's a lot of different names and faces and stuff, that, and you recognise. And there's always for me a bit of a litmus test when certain people yeah, I think who it's are true. a little bit more a bit a little more patient, um, a little bit more conservative in their views, when they start going, you know there's something going on. Yeah. Um, so we'll come to that later on. But um, my brother for yeah. one, who's been on this podcast loads yeah. of times, he's pretty yeah. pretty honest about things. But he, he was he was calling Samrick as a fraud on Twitter last night. So <laughs> make of that what you will. But yeah, you know there's a lot of people who are pretty rational that were, were pretty sick of it as well. Um, yeah. And, you know, we like to try and reflect the general view. I've I've written it to talk about later on, Ollie, but it is worth saying, you know, I think there are still some people out there that have got faith in it. And I think that those people that have still got faith are clinging on to it because of the last two games and that performance being better. But to me, it feels like we've been there before. Like we had that little period before Christmas last year where it got better and we started winning and people were talking about playoffs. And then it just went back to the the standard. You know, it went back to the normal. And I think people who are still hanging on to that are quite generous to Sam Ricketts because the pattern has shown itself that... This this improved performance probably will not lead to better results down the line, but no. there are people that feel like that, and it's only fair to reflect it. Yeah, no, no, it's fair, it's fair. So yeah, top three. Um, you go first, Glenn. I'll, I'll go after you. Yeah, it was a tough one, wasn't it? Daniels for me. Uh, I gave it to him for a debut that was quite solid. I know he messed up for the goal a little bit, but um, in general, his set pieces were exceptionally good for a League One player. Um, he gave us a bit going forward. I, I don't think he's fully fit. I haven't watched it. Um, he's clearly not unfit though. Um, but yeah, I think there's probably more to come from him in terms of performance, but. Um, it's just be a case of him setting himself up for a new move in January. So good luck to the guy, I think. Um, second, I went for Burgoyne uh, again because I know he conceded two, but didn't really do anything wrong. It was good to see him back in goal. Um, his kicking was solid. Most most of the other work he did was was good and um, didn't have too much to do, did he really? But what he did, 
he did well, and yeah, I went for high third. I, I didn't currently pick anyone third. I know you've you've done better. You've given him higher in yours, but um, I, I thought everybody else was either poor or just pretty average, to be honest with you. Yeah, if he was football manager, there'd be a few fives, and Defo. sixes definitely in there. Um, so I went for high first, just because probably was the least worst player. Um, Daniels did offer stuff attacking wise, but he was at fault um, for the second goal. Um, and um, he didn't exactly, um, you know, he wasn't exactly brilliant in the first goal we conceded either. And then third, Harry Burgoyne, because there was no one else. And I think I actually quite like the kid. He, he seems like a really nice player, a really nice guy. Yep. Um, he's, yeah, and he's, yeah, he's a local lad and he's he's one of our own players as mm. well, which we obviously we both like as well. Um, so, yeah, I put him there because he didn't really do too much wrong. It's interesting that normally we, we know, we generally always have a goal scorer in our top three. But I think the fact we've not put Pierre in um, tells you all you need to know about how defensively we were on Saturday, yeah. doesn't it? So yeah, it's an interesting and one. I, and I feel for him as again. I feel for Me all too. the defenders yeah. because it's it's a team game. Um, obviously, we're not scoring, we're not we're not conceding, and we're I, we're a bit of a bit, a bit shy, really. I, I still blame you know for our malaise and problems at the moment. I still blame the attacking unit more than I blame the defence. So I've got a bit more time. Yeah, for yeah, defenders. yeah, yeah. We're not conceding loads yep. of goals. No, exactly. Um, yeah, you know, if we start scoring a few, you know, it wouldn't take too much to turn it around no, exactly. um, but I just can't see that happening so yeah so what Sam Ricketts have to say he said it's a hard one to sum up um, oh, yeah we've been all, yeah we could we could agree with that Sam it's, it's been difficult summing up your football um, yeah a game we dominated with possession in their half dominated blah, 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 20 batents 20 batents on goal yeah but only 3 on target Sam um, yeah cheap goals yeah we are giving away cheap goals that's true um, 90% of the format was good we're looking a very good side in a number of ways. I'd love to know what they are. I think is you said ninety eight percent, Ollie, to be fair. Oh, it was it. I but Yeah. Even more mad. So we turn we to turn all those possession and shots into goals. Yep, I'd, I'd agree with that. Um and then this is the line. Has someone put a curse on us? <laughs> no. Maybe, well, I don't know, maybe. Maybe we need to get a witch in to release the curse. Maybe we should crowdfund for that, you well, know, maybe change the, our season. The curse is the manager, I don't know. But um <laughs> Yeah, it was, uh, uh, and I, I don't think this is where I lean. Sam Rickers is a nice bloke. We've met him a few times. He's been really kind to us yep. to give him his time. Totally. He seems like a really nice bloke. He seems like a, I'm sure he's a lovely husband and a wonderful father um, and probably a good friend. Um, but um, yeah, it's um, it's getting a bit tiring hearing the same old crap. Do you know what? A few months ago, Ollie, there were some people <laughs> accusing us of having been bought and paid for by Sam Ricketts because we were Three being magnums. we were being completely even handed about how this season started. We, you know, we went back to day zero, didn't we? We talked about squad rebuilding, and we we were as positive as you could be pre-season. And as soon as the game started coming, I, I think I remember we did that podcast after the Middlesbrough game. You know, exciting, interesting football. I, I genuinely believed what Sam Ricketts had yeah. told us in that interview. We um, want to believe, don't you? Yeah. Why don't? Why would you not want to? believe yep. that you're going to play more attacking football and we start to see in the formations and you know Scott High was a good sign and start of the season was you know fairly encouraging and also I think we were probably high on the excitement of football coming back as well yes yes but I think that you know we haven't been a lot of what we've been ground down by this season is is a reflection of some of the things we saw yeah. last year. It's patterns repeating itself, and that's that's the frustration for me. And I'm sure it's the same frustration for Ricketts. Let's be honest about it. You know, he cannot be happy about the form and, and how he just can't consistently get wins, or you know, all this stuff that's going on, or especially the goal scoring. It must he must be furious about it. In fact, you know, when we interviewed him, it was clear that it's something he really wanted to improve, and it's got worse this season. So it isn't great. You know, something yeah. he said he'd specifically fix, and he hasn't. So yeah. harsh. Anyway, so, but that was his interview. Um, and and <laughs> it is what it is I think yeah as I say let's get the witch in to lift the curse and we'll be on our way this season off to the playoffs but 
we'll, we'll leave that there, and then we'll, we'll just yeah. move on to the last bit, really, which is where we'll we'll talk about um, where we're at with Sam Ricketts and a few yeah. stats to depress everybody, and then we'll we'll talk about um, the, the gambling interview that you did. Yeah. So on that note, I'm going to get another beer, Glenn. <laughs> That's fine. And then I'm gonna, so give me a second. Graham Turner, what you got in front of him over day. Lovely ball in. Okay, we're back at this, reviewing Sam Ricketts and where we're at with it, because obviously these two um, home losses and the general poor form this season has brought back um, discussions we had last season. And obviously when we looked at this last season, the, the stats weren't great then, to be honest with you. Um, and if anything, they're getting worse, to be honest with you. But let's just talk about league form. And, and you know, we've talked about the FA Cup during lots of podcasts. And Can we just say the reason why we're, I mean, we're focusing on league form yeah. only? I think it's worth just mentioning that because I've seen some people talking about EFL games against like Newcastle oh, kids. Yeah. They didn't. They didn't have an academy, so that's just <laughs> utter nonsense to review EFL games and FA Cup games are a bit of an anomaly. There isn't really you know any consistency there. So I think going basically on League One games, bread and butter, I think is quite a solid approach. Yeah, I mean it's it's what eighty five, ninety percent of all games we're watching a season league form. You know we want Plus to do well in the league. You, that, want, isn't it? you yeah, you want to progress. You want to you know, get on with your season, don't you? And league form is where it's at. And, you know, yeah, you can be a good cup manager and that's fine and you'll earn the club a lot of money. But Sam Ricketts is one, you know, home loss to a Stainstown or Marine in the first round of the FA Cup this season from being in total shit. So um, we don't know yet. We haven't had the FA Cup, have we? And we did, we, we've been rubbish in the League Cup under Ricketts, by the way. We've lost in the first round both times. So it isn't a, a league, it isn't a cup thing that's brilliant. It's like the FA Cup. That's it. So, but we're talking about league form and we've played 67 games under Sam Ricketts now. We've only won 17. We've drawn 24 and lost. 27 so 27 the highest number there highest percentage is for losses and this week brought up a question about home for Molly and, and how bad has it been um, under Sam Ricketts and, and when I looked this up this afternoon I was actually quite surprised it's probably worse than I thought it was um, so out of that 67 league games um, we've played 35 at home Molly we're yet to have won 10 we've only won 9 we've drawn 12 lost 13 so again more losses um, than anything else but this is where it comes into the problems particularly when there were fans last season and the lack of goals and entertainment. In that 35 games, we've only scored 35 goals at home. One goal a game. And in that period, we've also conceded 46. So we've had a minus 11 goal difference in our home games, which is bad, isn't it, Ollie? It's bad. And when you you know aggregate that to points, from 105 points in our home games since Sam Ricketts took over... We've taken 39, which is fucking atrocious, to be perfectly honest with you, um, which is a 25.4% win percentage at home. And, you know, let's just start with that. Home form normally kills any manager, doesn't it? And he, Ricketts doesn't have a leg to stand on about home form at all, does he? That is just poor, isn't it? To, yeah, this basically, it's more than a season, obviously, because you'd have, what, 23 home games? So it's, yeah, it's a season and a half at home. Yeah. And he's won, basically won, yeah, nine. That's just... Sh- sh- I didn't realise it was going to be that bad, I wasn't, honestly. No. I asked you, ask you to look at the home stats because I thought, you know, we've had two home games, so that's part of it. But also, you know, you'd expect... Because I knew the win percentage at home, overall was really poor. Yeah. It's like 25%. But I thought that, you know, maybe the home is going to be better. But it's just the same. Mm-hmm. And it's just 
horrendous. Yep, it's horrendous. Really horrendous. <laughs> it's so bad. I only, I hadn't looked it up. Normally, I do stats looking at every game home and away, don't I? And kind yeah. of aggregate it. All, and I never really looked at it at home, but you know that that to me shocked me today. And you know, losing another two this week has, has added to the problems. And you but, and also conceding eleven more. Yep, at home. And we and we scored one goal a game at home. Yep, like. I know we keep talking about this stat. It's 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 a stat we need to talk about probably you know if we, if we have better times, but scoring less than a goal a game or a goal a game is is this is so poor. It's unusual for us as a club as well. Like if you look at all the last few managers we've had, no one's come near a, a, a poorer goal scoring record than, than the Ricketts has. And this is probably moves us on to our next stat, talking about goal scoring. Before we move on to the questions, Ollie. I put this thing up in the week about, you know, we mentioned it last season, didn't we, about binary town. We went on a run. Sorry, can I just say something again Go on, about the goal scored? Yes. Wigan, which is a, I feel sorry for Wigan fans, a bit of a basket players club, only they have, they've, they've scored six goals and we've scored five. <laughs> we've scored the least goals in the league now. Even Burton Albion, who are bottom. It was the same last year. It was the same last season. nine. Yeah. 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 And if you just for comparison, so Ipswich Town has scored 14, Lincoln has scored um, 13, but Charlton, you know, have scored seven. We've scored five. This is the equal worst start in a League One season after seven games for goal scoring that we've had, and it's equal with last season. Every other season, you know, the Turner seasons, the Mellon seasons, the Hurst seasons, we'd all scored more than five goals in the opening few games. And um, yeah, so it's Sam Ricketts. It's, it's it's a it's a repeating pattern as we talked about before. But in terms of goal scoring, as I say I was just about to go on to that next stat, which is I mentioned it last season, didn't I? And jokingly, when we went eight games in a row where we either got no goals or one goal, and I sort of jokingly called us binary town. So I went and looked at that this week. And again, this is the first time I'd looked at how much of a binary football club we are in terms of our goal scoring. And I found out early that 79.4 or 80% of our games from 73, we've all, we've either scored zero or one. So in 80% of our games, if you score two goals, as I mentioned before, you'll win the game against us. Or, you know, or even one with the zeros, I suppose. But yeah, 80% of games we've been binary. And again, I was quite surprised. I thought it'd be high, but I didn't think it'd be 80%. No, it's shocking. <laughs> it's absolutely shocking. And if you think about our league play, so yeah, we're 20th now. Yeah. And there are three other teams on six points. Mm-hmm. And I know I don't want to say this because, you know, you could say, yeah, we could have won another game or something else. But if we hadn't beaten Wimbledon and got that and Clark had defied the manager's orders and got that goal, <laughs> we'd have, and we maybe we drew that game, we'd have four points. You'd be bottom. We'd be bottom. Be bottom. Yep. Oh, God. So that's where we're at with stats, especially home form. And I think that's the thing that's killed a lot of people this week um, is home form and it continuing to be bad. And, you know, I thought it might be better this season. You know, a lot of people come to us and there's no crowd there and we're not the most vociferous. And maybe there being no fans there makes it more, I don't know, and even more playing for I suppose it would have been there. Actually, I'm going to stop now. I'll cut that out. So that's where we're at with stats, Ollie, and, and things like that. And, and it gives us a good... Uh, launching point into a bit of a discussion really because you wanted to ask a question didn't you about fundamentally for us and our view on where we're at with Sam Ricketts what's the question that you should ask yeah so I think the question you should ask any manager you know as a you know how you're happy with the manager how you're getting on and for me I think the, the kind of the simple question it comes down to is you know are we making progress are we making progress and Sam Ricketts has been with us now for a month shy of two years and as you said he's managed 67 league games um, and that's um, so yeah there's plenty of games we've been here for so the question to you Glenn is are we making progress under Sam Rickers so yeah you asked us to look at you asked us to look at pros and cons didn't you basically to kind of think about yeah. whether we're making progress so I'll, I'll run through my pro, pros and cons and see say where I'm at at the moment but fundamentally to ask that question are we making progress I would say no but 
I would also capture that by saying, essentially, we have a rebuild as a bloody football team every summer, so it's really difficult to make progress because it's just always shifting sands, isn't it? So it, it's a difficult one for a League One manager. But for, for me as pros, OK, Sam Ricketts can get experienced players in from, from maybe at a level we've not got for a while. Daniels, Clark, you know, a Cummings, getting Dave Edwards back, you know, Charlie Daniels. They're all players of a quality that we maybe wouldn't have expected to get a recent time. So clearly got contacts in the game, and um, I think that's a, a good thing in his book. He has spotted the occasional good loan player. You know, Greg Doherty was exceptional, and he's got a few in that have been really good um, this season and last season, Max O'Leary. Clearly that works as well. Um, and I would say up to this season, you know, and I still think in general, he is a good defensive manager, and we are pretty hard to break down quite a lot of the time. Um, this week accepted, and, you know, he is a good defensive coach. Um, he's been good in the FA Cups, as you mentioned. He is a nice bloke, as you said, Ollie. We've met him, and he, he seems like a genuine guy. He's not uh, someone that's out here to rinse this football club for a load of money. He's definitely trying his hardest. And the other pro I could think of was he's probably quite cheap because his contract's almost up. So, And I doubt he was on the most amount of money anyway. So, you know, they're my pros. My cons, his football's awful to watch. Um, his squad building is generally disastrous. Um, his lack of goals and entertainment is a huge problem for me personally. Um, the, the lack of points clearly we've talked about in this game and the home form which we just mentioned they're my massive um, cons and I think for a lot of people maybe not for me is this, a lot of people still niggled about the fact he came from Wrexham which people will never forget some people and he's still learning he's still learning this job every week we see he's still learning so those are my cons in general um, if you ask me for a verdict of where I'm at with Sam Ricketts at the moment I would I would let him go um, I think we could probably afford to do it at the moment I've, I've been saying for weeks we, we couldn't but I think we probably could now because we spend all this money on these expensive players and so there must be a bit of cash sloshing around. I, again, I just, for me personally, I'm at the point I was last Christmas, Ollie, where we went into that bad run and, and I talked about Ricketts and whether we should go and I said at that point in time, no, because I felt like those last few games of last season, I saw a little bit of progress. Anything I saw at the end of last season where we changed to an attacking formation, it looked a bit better, has been washed away this season. So for me, it, it's just, it's not going to work. He's going to go at Christmas. He's going to go this summer either way. So I would move on now and I would get some of the quite exciting options that are out there to come in and, and do something with a squad that should be too good to go down only. So I'm going to say, now, I, I think that if I was Brian, I would be having a serious conversation with, with Roland tomorrow about looking for a new manager. Yep, no, mm. I can, I can understand, yeah. understand that for you, Glenn. Um, and I think it's worth saying, like, so a question, another question for you, Glenn, and I'll, then I'll have my little go. Go on. Um, are we in a relegation battle? Yes, of course we are. Less than a point, of, so, we've got le- so normally teams that score a point a game get relegated. Yeah. You know, easily get relegated, and we've got less than that now. Yes, it's seven games and all that, but we don't. I can't see the, the ship turning. No, it, 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 I'm going to mark it to another thing, which is a bit more comedy, really, before you have your say, Ollie, because I'm interested to see what you think, because we talked about this since the game last night, and we've both had enough, really, haven't we, to be fair, and, um, you know, we'll have a question in a minute about whether he will get sacked, because I still don't think he will, but I think there's an opportunity to do it, um, but you talk about being in a relegation battle, and, and you know, the, the key relegation season I always think of as, as a Shooter fan from my formative years was the was the Kevin Ratcliffe season and there's a lot of um there's starting to be a lot of parallels already early on into the season and, and with the time that we've seen Sam Ricketts have so far. But you know, that relegation season, we had a lot of older pros on the books who didn't really look asked quite a lot of the time. Well, that's starting to occur, isn't it, I suppose. Um questionable attitude to losing, that's already happening. Throwing young lads in, um you know, Zamburic and Barnett or Carl Murray or, or some of the other young lads, Tolly, that we had that season and kind of pinning our hopes on them, you know, we're starting to do that a bit. Um a manager who'd been here a while, um, should have been improving the team but isn't. Isn't there's no real improvement occurring. Playing players out of position, as we talked about with High in the week. 
um, a sort of unbalanced, bloated squad. Some players falling out of favour. And, and to cap it all off, him and Ricketts were um, ex-top flight defenders as managers. So there are some there are some parallels that season. And, um, you know, we didn't change Rick, uh, Ratcliffe until two games from the end of the season, did we? We just let the car crash continue. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting. I saw a few people comparing it to that season. I'm starting to see the parallels. But, yeah, in answer to your question, whether it's comparative to the Ratcliffe season or not, we're 100% in a relegation battle. Um, but we normally are most seasons, aren't we, to be fair? So yeah. <laughs> not much change there. Yeah, no, it's not good. <laughs> not good. Yeah, I don't know. What? Where are you at, Ollie? Anyway, I've had my say. Yeah, so yeah, I think quite a few of the, the positives I'd share with you. Um, at the start, he said he was bringing in young players and all that kind of stuff. And we have we've got a couple of good youngsters. I'd probably say Williams is is a bit of an asset. Um, you know, he has seemingly brought in some you know, modern technology to the club and stuff and helped us build that way. So that's good. Um, as you said, he seems like a really nice guy and. You know, it's it's quite good and exciting in terms of having a young manager and you know giving him his opportunity. Um, but positives to me are thin on the ground. Um, he's been here nearly two years now, as we said. Um, you know, we've got a, a lot of games and a lot of data to kind of go off. Um, as you said, we gave him a bit of a fresh start at the start of this season, um, but obviously we were never going to completely forget what had happened before. And so last season, you know. He failed to implement an effective three-four-three formation. Uh-huh. We didn't score enough goals, um, and we were fortunate. Who knows what would have happened last season? You know, we could have Still had an amazing relegated. season, or we uh-huh. could have got relegated. We don't know. Um, but basically, I'd say he failed to implement an effective formation last season. This season, he's gone for a different formation. He's going for three-four-three, but we're seeing the same outcome. It isn't working. It is not working. Um, we have we are not scoring goals. Um, we are a dysfunctional team. And I think it's fair to say his teams that he builds are dysfunctional. So the, he's had three teams now. The the, the kind of the post-ASCII season team, Which that was wasn't very good. Yeah, <laughs> that was terrible. His own team in this 3-4-3-3 three, three, three at the back mm. was terrible. And this team now is terrible as well. Um, yeah. Consistently, we don't create enough chances. We do not create enough goals. Um, we might have high possession and we might have high shots but we're not creating a lot of chances and we're not scoring goals and it is boring football is supposed to be an entertainment it's supposed to be especially yeah. in in these covid worlds i genuinely look forward to saturday even at the moment i am i the hope kills me i get quite down at the end of a game because i'm really <laughs> looking forward to it it happens and the football is boring and it is crazy that we're playing what most people see as an attacking formation 343 and it's boring again. It's the same football. It's a it's a different approach, but the outcome is the same. It's Ricketts ball. That's why we made that term because we were frustrated and we had to try and describe it or something. And it's Ricketts ball two point zero, as you coined earlier in the season, Glenn. Yeah, it's the mentality. It's the mentality yeah. of it. Isn't and I it? think oh, that's the thing. mentality. And, and funny you got that word, Glenn, because that's words coming up. So for me, <laughs> his he seems to have implemented this really strict style of play um, in terms of creating basically set place plays a bit like NFL kind of approach but to football and that's one of the reasons that he said he got into football because he saw there's a way of kind of managing coaching the team and for me I thought but my eyebrows really raised when he was critical of Clark he came on and he he wasn't asked this question he gave this information freely mm. he was critical of Clark who defied his orders but he scored a goal <laughs> I find that so peculiar that a manager would criticise a player. Yeah. A game which is known as the beautiful game for its creativity and its innovation, but our manager decides to criticise a player because he doesn't follow his instructions, even though he got him his only league win of the season. 
I just find that really... And then mentality, Glenn. And this mentality is, is where you come to sometimes when you can't find any other answer. But I think mentality is a really strong area to focus on. The players don't seem to be right, do they? They seem to be flat. They don't seem to have any desire to win. Um, I wouldn't say the players... They're not, they're not rebelling against him, are they? They haven't down tools. They are working... As you, but football at this level, football at any level, it's about the percentages, isn't it? You can be a couple of percentages. Look at Liverpool. You know, they were absolutely on it. A few percentages off and they're not winning games. Again, they're yep. not winning games yep. in the same manner there are. And you go into a game against another set of team like Rochdale or Rovers this week who are up for it and they win. It's, yeah, it's not about effort. But no. I, watching that game on Saturday, I would believe that the Rochdale players bought into what their manager is trying to yeah, get them to do belief. this season way more than our players are buying into what Sam Ricketts is telling them he wants them to do this season. And and whether that's because they just don't see it working or they just don't feel like it's it's a particularly fun approach or, you know, they, they don't they want to be let off the hook a little bit more like maybe they did towards the end of last season. I don't know, but there's no buy in. There's not as much buy in, does there? No, there doesn't seem to be a lot of belief. No. Um and yeah, and it's really interesting. Quite a lot of people were saying you know, saying that his team is dysfunctional and this for me all comes back down to the manager. Um, and then the final point, Glenn, which for me is a bit of a, a sad point, because when Sam Ricketts came to this football club, we had a bit of stability, didn't we? We had um, we had um, the coach that went to Chelsea. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Eric Ramsey. Yeah, Ramsey. We had him. We had Ramsey. We had a goalkeeping Coyne. coach in Coin, And we had Adam Henshaw. And for me, that was really nice because... Even if we had a change in manager, we had this kind of structure. We had, you know, a recruitment analyst. We were, you know, at the forefront of that for League One in terms of signing players. Um, he sees the team quite well, doesn't he, um, at Henshaw? Yeah, Rochdale well. seventh in yep. the league. Um, so we seem to have gone from that. And for me, the transfer piece is weird. So we came in saying the right thing. I'm going to bring in, you know, one of the things I haven't got, I haven't got a squad with value in it. And, you know, I want to bring some value and yeah, some this is true. kind of... And value in value transfer value into this team, and he did do that. You know, we signed Williams, and we're all like, "Oh, great, he's signing young players." Um, but without without Adam Hanshaw, has he been able to find those gems? He's he's maybe doing too much himself. He was telling us, wasn't he, when we met him, that you know he just gets involved in everything, which is great. But sometimes you maybe need to kind of share the burden. Um, and now this season, I'd say that our transfer policy is. Defined Scattergun. by signing loan players yep. and 34-year-old pros, which is really funny because we hadn't spoke about Everton and Ratcliffe until like quite re- until really we no. started the podcast. And yeah, it felt like that is that's a Ratcliffe route. It's, it's a bit desperate. Mm. And it's interesting, like you say, we haven't got many sellable assets left anymore, have we? We've no. got players running out of contract and a few young players, one of which is Barnett, as you said, who came through the youth system. But uh, yeah, he, he hasn't he hasn't left us with much of a legacy in some respects, and um, maybe we'll. And we've lost Hanshaw, we've lost Danny yeah. Coyne, and we've lost a few members. We hasn't left the chef, to be fair. <laughs> so, no, 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 but I mean, in terms of the legacy, he can't unfix that legacy. No, but the point that is, legacy that, that, is gone now. A few, you know, last season I would have said players he was bringing in to build to sell on, you know, or, or do well for us and make money out of us would have been exactly the sorts of players Goss and Love. And he's lost patience with them after a year. And, and you know, that, that ain't great good management. All right, maybe they've got an issue or maybe they've got an attitude. We'll never know. I, you know they didn't strike me as two particularly lively, problematic players to work with. Goss seemed like really quiet and loved it a little bit as well. But, um, you know, the fact that they're, they're the sorts of players that we brought in on contracts that are now not playing and getting paid money every week and that should have been the ones we're bringing through as saleable assets is an admission of, of, a, of a fault in his management for me. So who knows? Maybe there's more going on there. We don't, but that's my view on it. Um so I don't know, yeah, you've, you've had to say, Ollie, where, you know, I don't know, where are you at now? 
I think I think we need to we need to make it make well. a change. Um, mm. Yeah, we're basically exactly where we were two years ago with ASCII. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're not making progress, um, and I really genuinely fear the way we're going is we're only going to get worse. There is nothing um, to suggest that he's going to be able to change um, change where we are. You know, there's no evidence to suggest that we're going to going to fix this. Um, and for me, um, I think it's yeah. It's sadly, it's, it's time for for him to move on. I think. I think and the, people, the club need to make a decision and make fair. a change. Yeah, I think. That, I honestly think Brian and Roland will have to have talked about it. You know, and we're going into two away games now. You know, might, their hand might be forced by the next three or four games. We're at that point again, aren't we? Where the next three, three or four games could be killer for him, um, particularly an early FA Cup loss. So you know, yeah, might, and might... the league table's going to get worse. Exactly. Oxford, no way, Oxford are going to stay where they are. No. Or Burn, um, I don't think. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, Burn, you'd think you were going to kind of caught some results. You hear Northampton fans are not very happy. Swindon mm. are not surprised they're down there, a promoted team. But Oxford are going to move up. Um, and yeah, you know, Ox- Oxford got a win um, on the weekend. Mm. Um, you'd expect them to turn turn things around. And I think I think that's fine. We've had our say on the situation and, and we're just two fans at the end of the day. You know, we reflect on our own personal opinions and we're certainly not the only people that have said that over the weekend. And we're certainly not, you know, we're certainly... Who knows whether we're in the majority or minority. It's really hard to tell at the moment with no fans in the stadium. But at the end of the day, this isn't some, you know, 16 games into a, into a John Askey season, you know, Teddy's out of the pram sort of thing that I think some people thought we had when we said Askey should go, which he did the next game. But, that, you know, that was that was more of a, a groundswell of fan opinion, I think. I think generally a lot of people were fed up there. This is something that, you know, we've sat down with a man. We've analysed every game he's played on this podcast. We've looked at every tactical thing. We've, we've understood the football and brand that he wants to bring to us. We've given it an even hand at the start of every season and, and tried to say, look, let's look at the positives. Let's go from it. And, you know, we're not we're not too crazy out there, people that just wanted him sacked from the start. It's taken me, you know, what, probably 100, 67 league games, maybe, you know, what, another 20 cup games? It's nearly 100 games of watching Sam Rickers football. And, you know, we, we've praised the good, we've praised the FA Cup, we've had some really good results away from home and we almost got on that good run towards the end of last season. We were right on, we were engaged, we were ready to go with that. But at every point we've tried to get excited about a Sam Rickers team, he and the team have let us down and we've taken three, four huge steps backwards. And for me, we can't go on another step backwards from here because we'll get relegated. So yeah. that's where I'm. That's got what to. we need to make the change now. Yeah. Is you need to manage to come in to have a bit of time um, to assess the squad. And for me, it seems like it's a mentality thing. Where again, it's like we're playing players out of position, and it seems to be this this mentality thing. And and you're not going to change the mentality of the team nope. without changing the manager. No. And the last thing I'd say is when we when we got to this point last year, there was a big a big swell of people saying, well, who else is there to bring in and be manager now? Which I think was probably fair at that point in time. There clearly would have been options if Ricketts went last February. But, you know, at that point in time, there was no clear candidates. For me, you could start by looking at Nigel Clough, the Cowleys, um, the guy that managed Wigan, Paul Cook. You know, that's that's three reasonable options that you could bring in that have pro- probably done it at League One level. I've, I've had some success in promotions with the Cowleys. You know, you know, Cook managed Wigan at a really difficult period, but probably did a better job Fantastic there than most people expect. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, there are options. It's, you know, it might cost a little bit of money, but that, that's got to be the bullet that someone's going to bite. Because I'll tell you for a fact, getting a new manager now will not cost us as much money as getting relegated to League Two. With the football deals, with everything going on with COVID... League two games will not get a much of a slice um, of any bailouts. There's a financial thing. I've seen people in the last few weeks talk about refunds. Yep. There's not, you know, people, one will, you know, if they need to do it for financial reasons, they do it. But I, I get the sense people are doing it because it's almost like their only vote. It's their only yeah. chip they can tricky. play to kind of Very show. Tricky. And so, And then Brian's going to see that. He's going to mm. see that, that kind of pressure coming. So, 
Yeah, I can't blame people doing that, Ollie. Can you? Really? I mean, no, not at all. It's, it's more expensive than um, watching I follow. There's no there's chance. N- yeah, there's it's, very it's, little chance we're going to get in before. No way before Christmas. Nope. And I'd be surprised if we were in February, March. I'd be surprised. Who knows? We were we said on the, the that kind of COVID podcast we did in the summer. We surprised when we did get back in, but it was only for one game. So the yeah, iPod streams us- are not worth the season ticket money at no. all. Like, even the- when it works, there's still yeah. such a disengaged. Hard to to really get going on we're it. We're a lower league football fan, Glenn. Yeah. We're not we're not some top six Man United fan who who never has never been to Old Trafford. Like <laughs> I've, I've been to Old Trafford eight times. It's probably more than most Man United. I fans. wouldn't I wouldn't admit that, Ollie. Um, but no, but you know what I mean. I've been, I've been to loads of football games. I've been to most of the football grounds yeah, yeah. Uh, in the top flight. Um, it's not how we watch football. We don't watch football on TV. I mean, it's, it's nice sometimes making a cup of tea at half time or whatever. But yeah, miss going to the games and 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 this this could have an impact on our finances. That's the point we're trying to say here, isn't it? That it could have an impact on the crowds this, when it starts back up. Yeah, mate, that's right. It's terrible football. It's so boring. But anyway, we've had our say. Um, yes. We'd love to hear what everyone else thinks. Um, so yeah, please yeah please share with us um, your opinions. We'd love to hear what everyone else thinks. We've seen a lot of people, so we've got a few tweets and stuff, but we won't mention them now. We've gone on enough, but there's definitely a grand swell of opinion um, of people yeah sharing their, their thoughts. Yeah, we should we should say we had a message off Neil. Uh, we had one off yeah. um, DHB, Andy yeah. Davis, Lee you know, Miller, and asking Thomas. if we were going to talk yeah. about sacking. Yeah, we appreciate was- all the content we've had this week and it's you know helped inform our thoughts and discussions about it and you know if we hadn't gone on for an hour and 20 minutes already we probably would have discussed <laughs> it a bit more but yeah. we again appreciate all the all the sort of interactions we have on social media and with with your account and the blue and amber account so um yeah thank you for that and as i say it's had helped this discussion this week and helped form the agenda so um i think we did cover most of the points that people were making there to be fair i think it's been fairly fairly comprehensive ollie um i think we'll, we'll leave where we are with you town at the moment and just move on in in this sort of south news sam ricketts section to to the story that was really the the only thing that made the papers this week I suppose wasn't too much exciting stuff coming out other than um, the, the football results but yeah Richard Hill who used to work for the football club and we've got to be quite sensitive to this because addiction is um, a very serious matter um, and so is, is what he was accused of and um, subsequently charged on but yeah worked for the football club and, and unfortunately um, recently went through a court case for stealing £18,000 from the football club to, to fund gambling and, and, and I think other other to fund, I think, gambling debts um, was what it said in the paper. So I'm just quoting the Shropshire Star. That's all we really know about it. it was a small article there. But obviously, as a football fan of the club, it's not great to see that we've, we've been done over like that. And, um, you know, maybe it makes some people angry and, and they want some punishment. He was charged. He's, he's been um, given community service in the football club and not seeking funds back, which I think in this circumstance, Ollie, with a man that's in a lot of debt and probably in a very serious situation is, is probably a very even-handed um, Shropshire thing to do, I think. Yeah, and for me, it's it's I think it's just terrible that um, you know betting companies um, get take money from these means. Uh, yep. There was that famous case in Ireland where a guy stole ten million euros from the post office, and Paddy Power got most of it, never gave anything back. And in this story here, um, yeah, um, he was going to and um, he was going to William Hill and spending five hundred pound a week. Mm. So you can't tell me that the staff there, and I don't blame the staff there, but you can't tell me that William Hill. Um, if they had the right processes in place, they could have done something to help this poor bloke. Yeah. Um, so on the back of this, um, and on the back of how important this topic is, um, yeah, we interviewed James, um, and we'll play that interview in now, um, who will yeah, give us some insight into this kind of this topic. So welcome to the podcast, James. Hi, James. Thanks for coming on the pod. Hi, Ollie. Pleasure. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, so um, so as we've just been talking, we've just been explaining about um, the story um, with Richard and the Shrews and Club and Gambling. And um, I saw your, I came across yourself um, from a Guardian podcast that was um, released um, last week. Um, and I thought it was a really interesting story. 
and very timely with obviously the story that's hit Shrewsbury and hit our fan base um, this week. So I thought it'd be really, really great to get you on the podcast to explain a little bit about your story, a little bit about what the work that you're doing um, in your in your in your day job, um, and then maybe also get your opinion a little bit on you know the, the story of Richard Hill because I think there's clearly there's going to be several sides to the story. Sure, definitely, it's a it's a real pivotal time for gambling and gambling reform, and I think this story is something that amplifies it. Cool. So yeah, maybe a little bit about, so what's your, how did you get to this place um, in your life where you're working now for, for a, 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 yeah, I won't actually try to describe it because I'm sure you can uh, explain it a lot better than me. Yeah, sure. So um, it's a long journey. Um, the journey started as, as a football fan, really. Um, as a child, I, my whole life revolved around football, watching it, playing it, coaching it, managing it. And at the time, similar to now, gambling and football was inextricably linked. And everywhere you looked, there was gambling advertising on TV, on the shirts. And as a child, I was obviously quite susceptible to that because I placed my first bet at the age of 15, um, underage, obviously, but I was living in a small town and um, I don't think the age verification checks are as good as they are now. And that triggered something inside me that, allowed me to want to bet on football all the time. I couldn't watch football without having a bet on. And the minute I turned into legal age to gamble and I was exposed to um, fixed odds betting terminals in bookies, which are essentially casino games, and then online gambling, I was completely and deeply addicted to gambling. And it was the only thing that I wanted to do. It was the only thing that I thought about. And 12 years later, it left a complete path of destruction. Um, it destroyed my own self-worth. It, it destroyed my well-being. It destroyed um, career prospects. I was such a motivated and confident, happy teenager, really. Um, I wanted to be a football manager, and which sounds silly, but I was one of the youngest UEFA B licensed coaches in the country. I was really determined and motivated. And then gambling found me. And yeah, it, it took away a lot from me. It took away um, my confidence and it caused depression and anxiety. And I still have some of these mental health uh, consequences now. And I lost £100,000, which, you know, some people lose a hell of a lot more. Um, but the money, as a lot of people that are struggling with gambling will tell you towards the end, is actually irrelevant. It's about getting that buzz, getting that fixed. You are addicted to that that feeling. And Fortunately, um, I'm two and a half years without gambling now, and I founded a project called The Big Step, um, which tries to get football to evaluate its relationship with gambling to prevent young fans going through the same thing that I did. Yeah, it's I, I found the the, um, the the podcast I was listening to very emotive. Um, I get quite frustrated seeing advertising on football, and you can't really get away from it. It's just everywhere. When I heard that Liverpool have its on their on their training kit, it shows you that literally there is nowhere that football clubs won't take the gambling coin. Um, and yeah, we're quite pleased. Shrewsbury Town fans are often quite fortunate because we're a club that makes a profit. We don't turn a loss. Um, to my knowledge, um, we've never taken any money from a betting company directly in terms of advertising. Obviously, we will indirectly through Skybet, but unless we reject our get our place in League One, there's very little we can do about taking some some of the money from gambling companies. And yeah, for me, it's 
it's yeah, football and betting has become too interlinked. Um, and yeah, me and Glyn have, have been approached. Um, Glyn through the Blue and Amber fanzine, which has had quite a few followers, and the Shallotcast podcast, we have been approached from betting companies. We've always said no because we just don't we just don't agree with it. Um, and there was, a, as I mentioned at the start, there was a story which I showed you before we started. I showed you a few days ago um, about a story with um, with Richard Hill. And um, yeah, so he he was working for Shrewsbury. Um, he was suffering from drinking um, and from gambling. Um, and essentially what he did was he used his position within the club to essentially get extra funds from the club, which he used to, to fund his gambling. Um, and yeah, it'd be interesting to get your side of that story. But also there's a line in the Shropshire Star, which I think is really powerful. And the line says, Hill became a regular customer at Willen Hill betting shop, where he visited up to five times a week, spending £500 of cash on terminals per visit. I've added the per visit on the time just to make a bit more sense. But that for me is quite alarming. But yeah, one, that he's got himself into this position, which is really sad. And then secondly, um, yeah, you know, unless they thought that uh, Mr. Hill had won the lottery, spending £500 a week in the betting shop is quite a lot of money. Yeah, it certainly is. And let, let me just say before that, thank you to you both, Ollie and Glenn, that's not here, but uh, for rejecting gambling sponsorship money, because on behalf of all of us that have been harmed by gambling and from stories like this, this is where this money comes from. When money's put into football um, from gambling companies, a lot of the time it's from addiction and it's from crime, like this story. And that story itself, you know, there's there's two um, acts of crime in that for me. Obviously, there's no excuse to still, um, and the punishment will be whatever it will be. But the other act of crime in that is the bookmakers, is the gambling industry that doesn't do adequate checks on a customer's affordability or a customer's well-being. There's no way someone should be going into a bookmaker spending £500 a day and no one intervenes on not just what it's doing to that person's wallet, but what it's doing to their to their well-being as well. And this is a fundamental problem with the regulation that we have is that gambling companies have got a complete free reign to take as much profit as possible from anyone, even people that are showing obvious signs of harm and addiction, like Richard in that story. There's no there's no measures in place to stop that. And that's why we need, within the Gambling Act Review, proper intervention. So if a customer is coming to your bookies every day, there should be something that flags up. This is not okay. There should be there should be some form of um, question or a prompt to them to ask if everything's okay with their gambling because evidently it, it's not. And uh, as I said, no excuse for that. But gambling companies have not taken responsibility. There's so this is not a unique story. There are so many stories of people that have committed crime to feed their addiction. And you know, I'm a recovering gambling addict, and I I. I do have some sympathy with Richard in that story. I know what gambling addiction can make you do. I know how powerful it can be. You literally do anything to use that one thing that you want to do, which is gambling products. So um, I'd urge everyone to uh, who's listening to, to try and have some um, empathy of what it's like to be addicted and how when you use these products it literally changes your brain it changes the way you think it changes the way you treat people and you turn into someone that you never thought you'd be i'm sure richard in that story never thought when he started gambling and placed his first ever bet he'd end up stealing thousands of pounds um from his community and um yeah i think this is where the gambling companies need to take responsibility as well 
Yeah, it's yeah, totally echo that what you're saying there. And it's not just that they are complicit in this, is that they mm. actively encourage it. And one of the things, startling things in the, the Guardian podcast was that they have VIP managers, which are just yeah. I, 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 the MP so, said that they've stopped. Have they now stopped, or do they still? And do you believe that they still are in play? They haven't stopped. They they've been rebadged as um, HVC, which is high value customers. So they've gone from VIP schemes to high value customer schemes, um, and essentially they can they can still incentivize um, customers that are spending beyond their means without uh, the real due diligence in place to prevent it. That they the gambling commission say that they will increase and impose fines on companies that are found to be abusing these rules. But I just don't understand in what society do we allow the incentivization of an addiction. It, 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 it happened to me, as I said in the, the Guardian podcast, I was treated to VIP Premier League tickets. And I'm a sm- in some of the stories I hear, I'm a small-time gambler. And the examples compared to like, there's a, there's a guy that was flown to Dubai. Um, there's there's people that are paid deliberately to go and find and scout and recruit high spending gamblers for other sites, and it, it's a, it's a strong word to use, but I honestly believe it's grooming and it's predatory grooming, and it should not be allowed. It's as simple as that, and it's a, it's a shame that um, the regulation and the gambling commission that regulate have allowed this to carry on when there's clear examples of the harm this is causing. Yeah, I think a lot of people will be alarmed by that. That was one of the things that I've seen just from a few people on the Saladcast Twitter feed that we've seen people commenting that that for me was a not a red line. It's clearly a red line, but it was something that we didn't know. And hopefully in doing this, um, this, this small piece that we can kind of raise the awareness among football fans that this happens. Um, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it's crazy that you think yeah, someone who's someone who has a problem, um, not only they encourage, not only are they not managing and trying to kind of manage their spending and trying to have some welfare for the individual actually proactively encourage them to 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 bet and and yeah and the funny thing about these not the funny thing but the the interesting thing is that that not all these people i I imagine you weren't a millionaire you're not really rich you're not living in a a mansion you're not driving porsches and ferraris and you can throw money away Um, a lot of these stories are general just normal people that have a general normal job if they have a job at all of course, and that, and that's the, the big big thing. There's this um, stereotypical image of gamblers being high rollers. I was never in a well-paid job. I'd, I'd urge everyone to read the story of a, a boy called Chris Bruni, who uh, unfortunately took his own life after being on one of these schemes. And he was never in a well-paid job. He borrowed so much money that he got in such a debt with it um, that this um, a customer retention manager, I mean, it's, it does exactly what it says on the tin. Their job is to retain the custom of a gambling addict and in that example it ended in suicide but just going back to the football issue this is the truth behind the brands that we see on our shirt this is the truth behind the supposedly funny adverts we see paddy power recently were exposed to be one of the worst offenders for this practice they're not your funny mates they're not the people that you think are going to be asking um you know what you're doing at the weekend and you see all these jokey tweets and adverts these are a profit-making machine with very little care for their customer in the process. Yeah, no, totally, totally agree with that. And that's why, yeah, me and Clint have always been quite clear that we don't want to take that kind of yeah funding. We don't have to take any funding for the podcast, but we certainly wouldn't take it from a, from a gambling company. But it shows that, you know, if they've approached us, the, the kind of the, the resources they have, 
you know, if they're willing to contact a little Shrewsbury Town podcast, you know, what kind of money are they throwing at, you know, more a bigger podcast and other media organisations? And I think that's where it comes from, wasn't it? That story with Max is that Max Rushton is a is a fairly well known uh, member of the media, um, and they're essentially funding uh, funding um, the media um, to kind of support their agenda. So. Yeah, really, really appreciate you coming on, James. Really appreciate that insight. And hopefully, yeah, the guys and listeners will, boys and girls will hear that and, yeah, learn a little bit more for what's what's going on in the industry. And hopefully, um, yeah, there can be some change um, soon because, yeah, if it's not, um, there's going to be more people that get into similar situations yourself. And um, it's a horrible stat that um, you know, someone takes their life um, from gambling addiction every day. Yeah, it's, uh, I urge everyone to check out Gambling With Lives, who are the charity that I work for. They are set up by bereaved families of young men who took their own life as a result of their gambling addiction. And they do it. They don't want to be doing this. We don't want to be doing this. We do this because we don't want our stories and their stories being repeated. But, um, yeah, thank you very much for the opportunity. Yeah, so that was a very interesting listen, Ollie. It's the first time I listened back to it just during recording the podcast, really. And, yeah, some things I didn't really know about. You know, I, I personally say it now. I don't have an online betting account, which I suspect for a football fan is quite rare. I think most people under probably the age of 30 seem to have betting accounts online. I've got a couple, to be honest. Yeah, I certainly sit in pubs with people and there's, oh, I've got to put a bet on this. And I, I, I honestly feel like it's the sort of thing that I could get addicted to. So I'm quite happy to just keep it off my I'm phone. I'm pleased um, I'm not addicted. I thought that's a few times. I'm pleased I'm not addicted to it. Yeah. Um, and yeah. there's so many, like, you know, um, kind of advertising moments um yeah the penetration of advertising and marketing is is very deep in, in british football culture yeah so i say for me i put two pound in a week to my little betting league i do with my friends which i see as more of a like a i could contribute two pound towards a lottery syndicate it's that sort of thing i pick one team a week and if we win some money it's a, it's a nice thing but I, I you know that's it i don't have a betting account i don't put them on myself so you know that's the only thing i i do with it but yeah we've said on this podcast a lot of times that the damage that betting can do and you know i've had personal experience with friends that have, have gone through that stuff which i think we mentioned last week so i'm certainly glad that you know these things are picked up and it's good for us to sort of bring the the issues and risks that there are with that sort of thing if you find yourself going down a wrong path and there's certainly lots of advice and help out there for people who find themselves in a, a situation where they might be addicted and you know the bookies are supposed to do stuff aren't they but you know i'm not sure how positive that is but you know, it's yeah, like it's, football it's, you can't you just can't be self uh, self-regulated well yeah that's true yeah to be fair so an, an interesting one ollie and and definitely you know i think you know it's just an interesting one to bring because we've often mentioned about how we wouldn't take sponsorship for a betting company even though we've been offered it a few times on here you know we could cover our costs on the podcast it probably puts us out of pocket 60 70 quid a year ollie something like that and you know we could cover that cost easily but for me it's it's not worth it and um i did notice today ollie just before we close this off that the efl actually um put our press release um early this afternoon which you might miss because you're on a holiday but it was something covering this issue about how um you know so many you know, particularly championship clubs have got betting sponsorship and you know sky better the main sponsors and and to do with this issue of, of, of football and gambling so yeah maybe you want to have a read of that next week and we can maybe have a, a little second bite of this but um interesting that they're addressing it it's certainly a, a hot topic at the moment yep no definitely so um in terms of um, to closing this pod off because it's probably been our longest one ever um <laughs> yeah we need to look at um fixtures glenn um we did a prediction we both said that shoes were going to win um which Great. seems to be a, a, a downfall in our in our methodology at the moment <laughs> um so we have got fleetwood on tuesday oh god and then we've got peterborough on saturday so we've got oh. fleetwood town peterborough and peterborough united next oh god oh, 
two of our most hated teams, I reckon, if you, if you ask most town fans. Yeah, we get to get, get to hear the she shanty when they bang a couple in. And um, Peterborough hate us for what went on last season, getting that game cancelled and obviously voting against the season restarting when they were desperate to do it. So, yeah, they're both, they're both going to be competitive games, I'd imagine. <laughs> so, yeah, who are you going to go for, Glenn? What's your prediction? Uh, after tonight, I can only predict us. We're, we're going to have to not. We're not going to predict Fleet because that's Tuesday, isn't it? We'll predict yeah. Peterborough, but I, I predict us to get fully hammered on Saturday. I'm going to predict for for the wheels to go off and us to lose three 0 Okay, I was going to go for three <laughs> one. You, oh, you, you'd be you'd be daft to go for a, um, a, a win or even a draw. Mm-hmm. I think we've had our good luck against Peterborough. Ivan Tony's left, so he's gone. He ain't going to gift us. He's, he's flying stop, in the championship. Stop. Top goal scorer in the championship. Yeah. What the fuck is um, going on with football? Twenty twenty is a weird year. No, he's a good player. He should he should have gone. To, I think some Premier League clubs will rue that mistake. But oh, anyway, he's doing really well. So yeah, we've both gone to concede three goals. Um, and yeah, we... <laughs> this shows us how much this, this season's gone for us, Ollie. We're totally mad asking for for Sam Rickers to be sacked, and you're giving praise to Ivan Tony. I think we should just stop this podcast now. This <laughs> it's gone. It's, that's the end of Salakas for me. But um, in all seriousness, yeah, that, that's two good predictions. For, I think it's fairly likely situation but who knows whenever we kind there's been times when we've got to this point and kind of half wrote Sam Ricketts off and we've won a random game from somewhere but who knows we'll be back next Sunday Ollie. and that's we'll the thing for slightly. me and that's just yeah just kind of the last thing I'll say on this now um, <laughs> is yeah we might have another dawn but you've put it in the podcast and agenda you know yep. you know is it going to be a false dawn or well I can't remember you say you said something like that you said you know you know once bitten twice shy kind of thing yeah yeah you know, yeah we don't have it was, confidence. It, when we get to the fringe of thinking it's going to be okay, we just get let down again. And so it's a it's a downward spiral, Ollie. That's a good word for it, I suppose. But fingers crossed. We we, yep, we so, live in hope, Ollie. We are, so, you know, we could win. <laughs> Let's so leave thanks, it at that. So, yeah, thanks guys for listening. Um, yeah, appreciate all your interaction. Um, it's, it's definitely keeps us um, happy and sane. And yeah, it's good to have um, interaction on social media. I know we both appreciate it. Yes, keep the chin up. There's the gesture. I know this has been a fairly fairly uh, depressing listen sometimes, I think, but it's honesty from us, and yeah. that's all people probably want to listen to. And um, yeah, if you don't agree with us, it's fine. Give us give us a contact, and we're, we're ready to reflect any we'll other come on opposite the pod, opinions. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And we'll catch you next week. Cheers, guys. Oh!